Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times. With your WWE Clash at the Castle Ultimate Preview. That's right, getting over is back once again and we are here to break down the entire WWE Clash at the Castle card as WWE returns to the United Kingdom for a stadium show for the first time in 30 years. We are going to talk about everything that is going to go down this coming Saturday in Cardiff, Wales, as well as everything that happened this past week across SmackDown and Raw. We have an absolutely loaded show that is beginning an absolutely loaded week of performance enhancing audio for you here on the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. And as always, we are absolutely thrilled to bring it to you. You can tell because I've used absolutely three times in like one minute of this show having existed. But I would be remiss if I began any episode of this podcast without an important reminder for you that Getting Over is So folks, especially this week, Stop being marks for yourselves and go back to being a mark for me. Go back to being marks for the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, Vintage Chris Vini, and the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast by heading over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify, leaving a five-star rating and on Apple, also leaving a written review to let everyone know why you listen to the show and why they should subscribe. There is perhaps no better week than there has ever been to subscribe to this podcast because of the number of episodes and hopefully, knock on wood, the quality of content that the Silver King and Vintage will be bringing you between now and the end of the day Sunday. We are going to get to that schedule in a moment, but as is tradition here on Getting Over, every time we get a new five-star written review, we read it here on the show, and we did get one this week from Maddie 316 Best Wrestling Pod, five stars, This is the best wrestling podcast I've heard. You guys kept me tapped into WWE even when the product was trash. Thanks to y'all, I still care about wrestling and now get to enjoy trips having the book. Keep up the great work. Thank you, Maddie. Keep up the great five-star reviews. And that can be an example for all of you who have yet to leave a five-star written review. Make one for us, please, just like Maddie. Also, please do not forget to follow us on Twitter at getting overcast. We tweet during all the shows. We send out videos. Sometimes I drop news items. There's a lot of cool things that we do on Twitter. But this week, we will have live shows on Twitter spaces ahead of the three special events we have this coming weekend. Not only WWE Clash at the Castle, as mentioned, but also NXT Worlds Collide and AEW All Out on Sunday. It is a loaded weekend with three huge shows and the Getting Over Wrestling podcast is going to be with you the entire way. So be sure to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. You'll be able to participate in those live shows. You will know when new episodes drop and you'll be able to vote in our pre and post show polls. That way we know your expectation grades and final grades for all of those shows. We will discuss those, of course, in our instant analysis episodes that will come at the end of those pay-per-views and premium live events. (sighs) Okay, Chris, that was a mouthful to get this show started. We're still going to go over the schedule. We still have some stuff to talk about before we get into the good, the bad, and the ugly and the WWE Clash of the Castle Ultimate Preview. But how about we start like this? How you doing, man? Because uh, we haven't spoken in probably the better part of a week. And 
There's a lot of wrestling to cover this week, along with a lot of stuff that both you and I have to do for our jobs with college football season really cranking into gear starting on Thursday. Yeah, look, I don't love that arguably the busiest wrestling weekend of the year uh, is also the busiest college football weekend of the year. It's so <laughs> I'm going to be I'm yeah. going to be in Atlanta for Georgia, Oregon, trying to watch Clash at the Castle live as much as I can. Uh, it's a whole lot going on. So uh, uh, bear with us. If anything, timing is a little bit off on things, but I'm excited for all of this. It's just going to be a one of the busiest weekends I think we've ever had. We really got screwed here. It just it's, it is. It is what it is. Like I had to do a WrestleMania during the Masters one year, which was difficult. Yeah. Trust me, very difficult. But at least golf ends in the early evening and wrestling is in the evening. Right. For those two nights of WrestleMania. But this is dreadful. I mean, luckily, Sunday, obviously, there's no there's one college football game. It's late at night. It's it's not the biggest deal. It's one game. But to have week one Saturday with all those non-conference matchups the same day as the first time, you know, it's not this isn't like WWE Hell in a Cell. Like a three-hour show at 8 p.m., you know, whatever. This is a stadium show. They haven't had a major event, you know, since SummerSlam. And and possibly there's going to be a title change that hasn't happened in two years for the world championship. And it's during week one college football Saturday. I mean, at least AEW put all out on Sunday, right? Yeah. Uh, taking advantage of Labor Day. But it it's right. It's both a holiday weekend in America, which is a factor in that. And it's also everyone trying to get their shit in before the NFL starts because everybody's terrified of ever going up against the NFL. And the result yeah. is it goes against college football, which is uh, our greatest loves, uh, respectively, along with wrestling. So, yeah, it's going to be a lot. You know, I do like college football very much. I don't know that it's my greatest love. I love football. I love football. And college football is the area of football in which I happen to work. Um, but I, I love the game. and. It is the most exciting time of year when football is back for us and for many Americans. And to have WWE, you have to remember, Chris, it wasn't it was a year ago at this time. And, and I mean, we've done this podcast, I think, for the better part of three years now um, or three football seasons, I guess, probably is the better way to put it. Mm-hmm. Um, the WWE product normally declines when NFL starts up. They don't try as hard. They don't do as much. They realize they're not going to win the ratings battle, whatever. The exact opposite is happening now. So like WWE is ratcheting up. They're bringing people back. They're giving us exciting storylines. They're making us tune into the show, even though we would do it anyway for this podcast and for ourselves. But they're now making us want to tune in and making their product as good as it's been in a very long time at the same time football is ramping up. So it's very odd. I have not experienced this, you know, in the last, I don't know what, five, six years of WWE actually getting better in the fall. It's very odd for me. And also the three remaining WWE pay-per-views for the year are on Saturdays, uh, which also interferes with college football. Is, and it's supposed to it usually being on Sunday. So horrendous. It's, uh, it's actually horrendous. And then day and then day one on uh, January 1st, which is actually a Sunday. So probably won't have college football that day, but it won't it won't be college uh, football that day, but it's going to be an NFL Sunday. It's going to be an NFL Sunday. For me, so I lot. watch, I bet on the NFL. I mean, it's it's just. We're not trying to complain. We're not trying to like bring in a dour mood. But the truth is, it's it's a lot of work. And it's 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 going to be a very interesting next four months here on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast in your household, in my household, as we manage all this. Um, our jobs obviously come first. But at the same time, we want to give you a quality product here on the podcast. And that's exactly what we're going to do. We're going to continue doing it today all the way through 
college football season, the NFL season, and going forward. And let's hope that Trips having the book in terms of WWE remains as strong as it has been to this point. Now, Chris, we have a ton to talk about, as I mentioned, from SmackDown Raw and, of course, previewing Clash at the Castle. There were two things, though, I wanted to briefly discuss before we got into everything. The first is this was a very interesting week in WWE TV, largely because they were doing go-home stuff for Clash at the Castle. After three weeks of what I would call wrestling-heavy television, or at least more wrestling-heavy television than we had gotten previously, this week was very storyline-focused. And because of that, slightly, unfortunately, when it comes to us breaking everything down, there's a lot to explain and a lot to go over for all these individual segments. But what's even more interesting is these shows were so storyline-heavy, yet as you pointed out before we started taping today, there's only six matches on this card. And that feels extremely light when you consider, A, it's a stadium show, and B, it's the first time that WWE is going to be in the United Kingdom for one of those shows in 30 years. You would expect eight, nine matches. I'm not saying it should be a WrestleMania with 11 matches per night, but six does seem very thin. Yeah, that is surprising. I haven't looked at any SmackDown spoilers to see if they add any anything new. I don't know if they're going to add any NXT Europe stuff. I, I, I'm very curious. Like, are we just going to do six matches with a lot of bells and whistles to stretch it out? I mean, like, we know they don't want these things to go long. The stadium shows are mostly three to four hours now. They're not doing six hour type of shows. Um, so, yeah, I'm very curious if anything else gets added to the card. I do think it's a really good, solid card and we'll get to it um, mm-hmm. in the ultimate preview. But yeah, it made for a strange Raw because there wasn't like a ton of go home stuff on Raw just because there wasn't a lot of stuff to go home to. Right. You know, we end we end with the women's tag belts. You know, we got Kurt Angle stuff. Uh, so it, it, there's um, Kevin Owens isn't it, on it, the show, but he was a huge factor in, in the whole thing. Yeah. So there was it was an interesting episode. And I think by the end, I think I saw a lot of people saying, eh, maybe this is the first miss of the Triple H era. Well, they were saying episode. that mostly about the main event finish. Not so yes. much. Not so much the show as a, as a whole. But I, I will say our one of Raw, I wasn't overly fond of. Two and three picked up massively. Yes. But yeah, it did feel like, well, it, was that a go-home show to a pay-per-view? Because it certainly didn't feel like one, even though there were individual storylines that did develop for the show, one in particular that we're going to talk about when we get to our ultimate preview. But it didn't really feel like, look, look, the, the Raw Women's title isn't on the line. The tag team titles aren't on the line. The United States Championship isn't on the line. Raw does not have a solo championship being defended at this show, which is a stark contrast from what we've gotten from WWE Premium Live events recently, where the Raw titles were the ones that were always defended and the SmackDown titles perhaps were not. But when you have undisputed tag team champions without a challenger, I mean, that's extremely odd for a show like this. Your Raw Women's Champions in a six-woman match and your United States Champion, despite them having plenty of time to develop a number one contender for him, they just decided not to. And again, no Bobby Lashley on the card, one of your top baby faces. No Kevin Owens on the card. Not necessarily one of the top baby faces, but one of the people who gets the best reaction from the crowd, who is now being developed into a top baby face. Um, no AJ Styles on the card. So I, I look at the card, and again, we're going to talk about it later in, in actual detail. It just feels like there's a lot missing that they haven't done. Now, 
SmackDown was taped on Friday, so we didn't read the spoilers. Maybe they're, they're going to announce more matches that we don't know about. Maybe not. But it just doesn't seem like, despite the build being very strong for the main event, very strong for some of the other matches, it doesn't feel like the overall build to Clash at the Castle as a must-see event with all of WWE's best yeah. superstars, it doesn't really seem like that is there. Especially when I, I feel like it's been kind of presented as one. It's not really presented like a crown jewel type of thing. Like They're presenting they're, this as all, a big deal. They are. All the matches that are on the card are big deals. There's just not a lot of them. That's what's right. surprising. Exactly. And one last thing before we get into it. I just need to say, um, the Pittsburgh crowd for Raw on Monday night was absolute trash. Like, if you were in that crowd, maybe you can tell me otherwise. The mics didn't pick it up. SmackDown had some of those issues. But it was it was trash. I don't get what it is about Raw crowds in major cities these days. But they have been garbage compared to most of the SmackDown crowds. This was one of the worst, maybe by a mile. And it can't just be the difference between Mondays and Fridays. Again, AJ Styles, Edge, Bobby Lashley, Kevin Owens, Kurt Angle, the Street Profits, these are all massive baby faces. They were all on the show and the crowd didn't seem to give a shit. It was like a major city version of Lafayette. <laughs> and I thought it was or notable Lafayette. all night. The matches were less exciting because the crowd wasn't into them. The, some of the moments were less exciting because the crowd wasn't into them. It was a downer. It really was. Yeah, I mean, poor Lafayette always gets dragged on this podcast. Well, they deserve it. Um, I've, n- I've not been to the city, but I'm... Uh, I think they have a good football program there, at least. But I, 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 I noticed the crowd as well, not doing much. But I also wondered if part of it was like the last two weeks of Raw, that first hour has been really not great. And it's picked up as the show has gone on. And I've just wondered if that has translated to the crowd early on or, or, or something like that. You know, we had a lot on the show that wasn't a go home to Clash of the Castle, like the Miz, Bobby Lashley stuff. Like how into that are you really going to be? And then, right. you know, the the women's tag team match at the end, we're not really, you know, Raquel and Leah are not that big of baby faces. The Miz and Riddle stuff all happened without a live crowd, like around them. Rollins, so it yeah. was, it was a different episode of Raw. But like we said before, Montreal for SmackDown was great. Toronto for Raw was not. I don't know if it's a raw thing, if it's a mic thing, if it's something else, but um, it has been noticeable. It was Toronto for Raw. I think it was Detroit a couple of weeks ago. Detroit Smackdown said, this past Friday. Yeah. Oh, that was Smackdown. But like, yeah, yeah it just it's been weird. Like there, there were some at the start of the Triple H era, and maybe it just was coincidence. There were some fire crowds. Like people were going absolutely wild, and all of a sudden on these last couple of Raws, it's just been dead, and it's been. Very frustrating. So whatever. I just wanted to get that out of the way before we got into the show. I did forget one thing. I'm just realizing right now. I forgot to give you guys the schedule for the week in terms of what's coming up here on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. Let me do that. Then we're going to get to the good, the bad, and the ugly, and we'll get to the WWE Clash at the Castle Ultimate Preview. So this is what it is. Today, Tuesday, obviously we're doing the WWE Clash at the Castle Ultimate Preview. We are going to separate our normal Thursday show. On Wednesday this week, we will have an NXT Worlds Collide Ultimate Preview. On Thursday, we will have an AEW All Out Ultimate Preview. Then on Saturday, we will do the live Clash at the Castle pre-show on Twitter Spaces at some point before that begins. It's a 1 p.m. Eastern start. So we're looking at 12, 12, 15, 12, 30, something around there. 
In terms of the WWE Clash at the Castle instant analysis, we have not yet decided when we are going to do it. It could possibly come Saturday afternoon as soon as it goes off the air. If breaking news goes down, if there's a major title change, debuts, returns, things like that, that is when you can expect it. If for some reason it is a very uneventful show, we may delay that instant analysis until late at night, first thing. When I say first thing Sunday morning, I mean 1 a.m., 2 a.m., something like that. It could possibly get delayed. So stay tuned. Follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast to know when that is going to happen. And then on Sunday, we will have an AEW All Out and NXT Worlds Collide Instant Analysis. That will be published Sunday night after both shows go off the air. Worlds Collide is a 4 p.m. Eastern start. All Out precedes it right away. So we're going to let both of those events conclude. We will go ahead and do the instant analysis at the end. We will also have live pre-shows ahead of both those events. Again, follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast, and you can listen to those shows on Twitter Spaces. In addition to that, we will have pre and post show polls for all three of those events. Okay, Chris, that was an exceedingly long intro, despite me telling you before the show began, hey, we need to keep this short because we have a lot to talk about in our WWE Clash of the Castle instant analysis. Well, enough wasting of the time. Let's get into it by sliding into the good, the bad, and the ugly. All right, we are going to talk about everything that happened on SmackDown and Raw that does not seem to directly relate to WWE Clash at the Castle. Two changes I wanted to note for you guys on how I put together match recaps. I'm going to stop noting most of the near falls. It's just extra words. They don't really matter when it comes to breaking down the match. I'm also going to only give grades from now on for pay-per-views, special events, and notable TV matches. Hopefully that makes the recaps a little bit shorter and our shows more brief. So just wanted to lay that out there so everyone understood. Chris, let's get started with the Women's Tag Team Championship Tournament. On SmackDown, we had Shotzi and Zia Lee against Natalia and Sonya Deville against Nikki Ash and Dewdrop against Dana Brooke and Tamina. This was a last chance match because Toxic Attraction, Jace, uh, not JC Jane, Gigi Dolan got injured and they were unable to continue. So they did the inferior rules here with only two legal competitors at a time. There was a nice assisted flipping slam between Shotzi and Zaya. Dana then superplexed Nikki outside into a pile of women as DeVille blind tagged. She immediately threw Nikki into the ring and got the one, two, three. Nikki did appear to hit her ankle or lower leg on the top of the barricade on that superplex and she grabbed it in pain right away. That was obviously scary in the moment. The match could not have been longer than three minutes. I didn't count it. It was way short. What we got, those two moves and the right team winning, those were positives, sure. I know it wasn't part of the original creative, but there was no reason this thing could not have gotten five minutes or more on a two-hour wrestling show. And Nikki seemingly getting hurt. It was the sour cherry on top of the entire thing. This was just bad. There's really no other way to put it. Yeah, I'm giving it a bad, but I don't really see many situations where it could have been a good like this was a last chance because you had to replace a team which had to replace another team like this. This spot has just had some bad luck. None of these teams are very over with the crowd, so you're not going to give them a ton of time. In theory, yes, you'd like a fatal four way tag match to have more time, but it also just sped us up to the right team winning and moving us on, which I think was the ultimate thing giving it a, a bad, but I, I feel like it was kind of a no-win situation. That is true. So let's move over to the 
match we got later, which was the planned match with obviously a different team on SmackDown, Natalia and DeVille coming out of that last chance against Raquel Rodriguez and Aaliyah, whom had already qualified. Backstage, the heels agreed they were gelling and refused to say they stole a victory in the early match. While they were talking, Nikki and Dewdrop were seen arguing in the background over their shoulder. It was another great example of Triple H world building during other segments, letting you know there are things happening beyond what you are seeing directly on television. Uh, Dakota Kai and Io Sky were ringside. Bailey was on commentary. Michael Cole actually took a couple really funny shots at Bailey, but he got ganged up on between her and Pat McAfee, which was funny. Bailey talked about the women's division being boring while she was gone. And she said Cole used to text her all the time asking when she was coming back. I just found her hysterical. Anyway, Natalia hit Aaliyah with a great Mishinoku driver outside. Aaliyah never tagged back in and she just completely disappeared from that point forward. Rodriguez did a double vertical suplex and the falling corkscrew elbow. Natalia stopped the Tahana bomb on DeVille by taking Raquel down with a sharpshooter, but she got ejected from the ring with a boot as Sonya hit a great running knee for a false finish. Raquel then hit the Tahana bomb for the win in eight minutes as Kai and Sky stared them down after the bell. Here, I thought it was pretty smart that WWE was not wasting time with Aaliyah and instead putting all of the focus on Raquel carrying the team to showcase her dominance. That's what the whole point of this team is. Especially given, my thought was, Aaliyah was likely to be the one taking the fall in the finale. It didn't matter that she wasn't involved here. Make Raquel look strong. Aaliyah is the one who can be the weak link. Raquel's work with the heels was strong here. But my biggest takeaway coming out of this match was that Bailey could... 100% do commentary whenever she hangs up her boots and ends her in-ring career. She was legitimately that good on commentary during this. It was a good match, nothing special. Yeah, I mean, like, Bailey on commentary was something I think we might have talked about while she was out, even even back during the Thunderdome era, just because we, we knew that she'd probably do very well in, in that bit. She was great. Match was good. It was fine. Um your points about Raquel kind of carrying the teamwork. I, I've enjoyed this team, kind of the classic big person, little person tag team, not little person, but like smaller person uh, type of tag team with a, a expected result. You knew Kai and Sky were the others. You figured the faces would be the winners, uh, but this was solid. This was perfectly fine. They give it a good. Uh, just a continuation note on Nikki and Dewdrop after Raw on Monday. So I'm skipping all the way ahead till after Raw. There was a video that got posted to social media of Nikki having a conversation with her cape, like physically, the the actual cape. She said, I hope we find each other in another life. I wish it wasn't goodbye, but it has to be. But she kept her mask on. She was still in her gear. And then Dewdrop entered the locker room. So she threw the cape behind like one of the lockers and pretended not to actually be talking to a cape because obviously that's weird. Uh, Dewdrop was like, who are you talking to? Nikki was like, hey, I'm actually having an affair. Like it was kind of convoluted. But then Dewdrop found the cape. And basically said she was going to take the cape and put it somewhere. Nikki can't find it. So it seems to me like this might be a return to Nikki Cross. But it would be nice if we also had Dewdrop make the return to Piper Nevin as well. Uh, There doesn't seem to be development there for her, but there does seem to be development for Nikki. The other note is that Nikki was walking around fine and looks to be injury free. So whatever happened on SmackDown, it looks like she escaped series injury. Looks like there may be a gimmick change for her. Do drop TBD, but I did want to mention that because it wasn't on any TV show, but it was actually storyline development that we got on social media. Uh, Do you have anything to say about that or should I just keep going here? No, I missed it. So go ahead. Cool. So then let's move to the finals of the Women's Tag Team Championship Tournament on Raw. 
Kai and Sky against Raquel and Aaliyah. Backstage, Bailey said they were there to save the women's division. She keeps saying this. Dakota said that they could do more than say they're in control. They could prove it by winning the titles. This main evented Raw, which was a little bit surprising for me. Aaliyah got thrown into the steps and then hit got hit with a Meteora as Raquel got her head taken off by a Dakota kick. The heels went on a run, but Raquel did get the hot tag and hit the falling corkscrew elbow. Io came back with a code red, only to eat a huge lariat. Raquel went for the Tahana bomb, but Dakota distracted the referee and Bailey pulled Raquel down, so she wasn't able to do it. The heels then did a double stomp, Dakota's huge kick, and Io's moonsault finisher, but it was a 2.9 false finish with Raquel kicking out. Bailey went wild as the face team ran down to chase her away from ringside. Aaliyah tagged in, but purposely fell off the apron to hide. Rodriguez ate a crucifix bomb from Io, only for Aaliyah to run inside and roll up Dakota with leverage for the surprise win in 13 minutes. Bianca Belair, Asuka, and Alexa Bliss then ran in to celebrate with all five baby faces in the ring as Pyro went off on the stage and Raw went off the air. And my reaction was, that was certainly a decision from a booking <laughs> standpoint. Um, it was booked counter to our expectation in multiple ways, which on one hand is kind of appreciated, but it was still extremely odd. Even if you're doing a surprise booking with the team that you don't expect to win actually winning, why the fuck is Aaliyah of all people the one <laughs> getting the fall and not Raquel, who you have been building as dominant the entire tournament? Not only dominant all tournament, but so dominant that in this match, she kicked out of two consecutive finishers. And then on top of that, Dakota wasn't even the legal woman. So the new women's tag team champions are illegitimate, at least in reality, possibly also in kayfabe. Dakota did scream that to the referee after the bell. Commentary started mentioning it and then stopped. So we don't know whether that was part of the plan or not. I get that Dakota and Io were super obvious winners. And I get that Raquel and Aaliyah are probably being put in this position to be sacrificial first champions, maybe even to drop the titles in an immediate rematch due to the wrong person being pinned, if it is part of the story. But that's not exactly a positive way to restart a title that has been embattled throughout its entire existence. Yep. The only argument I could make is that having them win actually establishes another tag team in a tournament that had almost all of the teams thrown together. But then again, you look at Raquel and Aaliyah and you're like, they shouldn't even be a team in the first place because Raquel is so dominant, she should know that she should be going on a singles run. I'm going to say this was good overall. The match was good. They put baby faces over that we didn't expect. It did subvert our expectations. But it was disappointing to end the show this way when they were set up to have this brand new heel group go over huge. And it doesn't exactly make sense that this new group that was supposed to be dominant not only lost, but lost to fucking Aaliyah. Remember, sometimes predictable things are good. Sometimes predictable things are good. Now that said, I do think there's a chance that future booking explains the entire thing. And that is the benefit of the doubt that Triple H and this new regime has already earned Whereas the old one, we would shit on it, we'd call it bad or ugly, and we'd move on with our lives. I will also say, Chris, and then I'll let you get in here, I would have maybe bet my life savings that I would never see an edition of Monday Night Raw end with Aaliyah 
holding a WWE <laughs> championship in the main event with Pyro going off. That is a scene I never thought would happen. I'm not upset about this like many people were online. I think there's a lot of overreaction here. Again, I'm going with good, but it was very strange at the very least. I'm giving it a light good for what it was, but I'd be giving it a bad for making it the main event of the show. And I think that That's that fair. was the that was the weird thing because like yeah, like this was this is one of the few major matches we've had from Damage Control or whatever, you know, uh Bailey's group is called and still not officially named. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah. And and they lost. And then, like you said, the whole issue with the women's tag team belts forever was that they didn't feel legitimate. Either they didn't have a contender or you just didn't kind of believe in who the champion was when it was like Carmella and Zelina. And so we're back there again. And I think there's no way when, when this started, when this tournament started, do you believe the plan was for Raquel and Aaliyah to win? Well, Triple H loves Raquel Rodriguez. He does. I was going to say that. Yeah. So, and Leah, you have to remember as as look, I, I don't like criticizing wrestlers, but she's bad. She's not good in the ring. She's not good on the. Mic. I think she she she's gotten better, but she's still at a, a much lower. She, level. She's at a far lower team. level than almost every other woman on the roster. Okay. So, but but she was in NXT for like seven years or eight years or something like that. Mm-hmm. So maybe this is Triple H putting over a woman who he really likes, who he wants to see elevated while simultaneously rewarding someone who's really stuck with it and worked really hard. And it just, you know, you deserve, I must have just deserve it. Uh, you deserve it type of way. So I forgot what you originally asked me, but I'm not do, overly do, do surprised you, do you think that Raquel. Do you think Raquel and Aaliyah were oh. the original plans to win this? Well, I don't think Toxic Attraction was. So because well, they weren't in it either when it started, right? But even if they had planned to make a change there or whatever, my point is I don't think Toxic Attraction or um, the team that preceded them, Zoe, Zoe Stark, Stark and, Nikita Lions. and Nikita Lions, I don't think either of them were the plan. So therefore, yes, I do believe this was the plan. Yeah, because he it, likes Raquel enough where it makes sense that it was the plan. It it just felt like. As this tournament kept going on, we kept waiting for Aaliyah to get pinned and that be the end. And all of a sudden, you're like, oh, they're in the championship? Oh, they're that's interesting. Oh, they're, they're the... Ch-. Like, I don't think any of us took them seriously as a team that could win it until they won it. And it was like, oh, okay. So that was that was just kind of the, the way things are. Look, I get this. Look, Kai and Sky lose this. Damage control wins at Clash of the Castle. The classic, you know, go the other direction before the pay-per-view type of thing. I just think... I don't know. In terms of the women's tag team belts coming back and all of us maybe unfairly just thinking Sasha and Naomi would immediately come back and claim that it was their belts. And obviously that didn't happen. We it was a letdown. It was absolutely a letdown at the end, the end of the show, especially the go home to a, to a stadium show. Right. And so, you know, the match itself was fine. Like, I get it. It was it was fine. But doing this as the main event of Raw was a very surprising decision. You know what I'd have loved? If they did this as the main event, but they left four minutes or three minutes on the back end, and then as the baby faces are celebrating in the ring and Pyro's going off, all of a sudden there's like a commotion and Rollins and Riddle are brawling in the crowd. (laughs) And they make their way into the ringside area and Riddle throws them into the barricade and referees separate them just to give that one last like punch, like, Boom, don't forget you have to see this match on the show because, again, the team that lost in the main event is the new group and it's one that actually has a match on Clash at the Castle and the winners don't. 
So it was a very yeah. odd main event moment, especially because you're right. There was no Sasha Banks and Naomi, which leads us to a DM from John Dunphy at John Dunphy 68. Was I the only one who thought Sasha and Naomi were going to come out as soon as Raquel and Aaliyah won the tag team titles? It probably would not have sent the right message, but I would have popped for that. So let me get to that. I did think Sasha and Naomi would come out to end Raw after new champions were crowned. But in retrospect, I actually think it was the right decision to delay them, assuming they're re-signed, assuming they're coming back, for a few reasons. First of all, the crowd sucked. Now, they couldn't have predicted that, but it did. And it would have been wasted on this crowd, that return. But the new champions, the women who have just won the titles, a title that, by the way, you are trying to reestablish as important, Mm -hmm. they would have been completely overshadowed by the return. The return would have been way bigger than the new champions or the titles themselves. And we have gotten so many debuts and returns in the last month that I'm not saying it would have reduced it, but maybe it would have. Maybe it would have slightly made it less notable that they're back when we've already had Karrion Cross and Hit Row and this person and that person and blah, blah, blah. I don't know if WWE has the ability or any company has the ability to pull off a surprise return that does not get leaked overseas. But if they are able to pull it out at Clash at the Castle, I would absolutely love it. But there's travel manifests and hotel rooms, and there are so many different elements that make that very difficult to do. If they can't pull that off or choose not to, the Raw after Clash at the Castle, one week from now, one week before Monday Night Football begins, would probably be the perfect time to do it. Well, I I had thought when the tournament started, I thought Sasha and we were going to show up at the end. When Aaliyah, when Aaliyah and Raquel won, oh, sorry, when I knew this match was going to be on this show, I figured, no, they're not going to debut them right before it on the go home for a pay-per-view that they are not on. And so at that point, I didn't think they would come back. But then the show ends and there's still like four minutes left or the match ends. There's like four minutes left. I'm like, maybe. And then and then it didn't. didn't. And it wouldn't make sense because like Sasha and Naomi are going to come back as faces, even if old WWE painted them as heels like they're just they're going to get massive cheers when it happens. So well, I don't even think I don't even know if Raquel and Aaliyah are the team to face Sasha and Naomi whenever they come back. So I, I'm you know, I'm with the questioner like there was a long period of time where I think a lot of us thought it would happen at some point. But in the end, with what they decided, I think it made sense not to do it. And especially when. Two other things here. Uh, D- Dakota Kai just tweeted Triple H while we were taping the show. Uh, Triple H tweeted, congrats to the new winners. She goes, hey, boss, we need to talk. Obviously, playing into the fact that the wrong person, the illegal woman, got pinned. So that's interesting. Maybe that is going to be a storyline. And one other thing. I know we don't have a lot of time here. Quickly booking the damn territory. I just want to know what you think about this. Survivor Series is a couple months away. Not that far, right? What if Sasha and Naomi come back as heels and they join damage control to create a real women's faction, which I don't know that we've ever gotten multiple, more than three women in a group together. This would be five. And we get a real five on five Survivor Series match with Sasha Banks, Naomi, Bailey, Dakota Kai, and Io Sky against Bianca Belair, Asuka, Alexa Bliss, Raquel Rodriguez, and Aaliyah. To me, this could very well be setting up for that because you saw all five of those women together 
at the end of the show in the ring. I saw you tweeted after that. You said, oh, is there going to be a real women's faction here? Right. But I, I didn't think of it that way. I don't hate your idea. I just don't see it happening because one, I don't, it's, it's very hard for me to see Sasha and Naomi coming back and getting booed. I also don't see Sasha and Naomi agreeing to come back and immediately get put into Bailey's stable. Uh, so I don't know if they join the group necessarily, but do they come back and participate in a five on five survivor series match? That I think is possible. They could still be in team up without being part of the faction, so to speak. So I, I think that's possible, but I don't see them coming in to become like a five person faction fair enough okay and um one other thing bh b habibi 44 what is your overall grade of the women's tag team tournament while nearly all of the matches got adequate time i found most of the matches to be okay to below average with no quote bangers i appreciate trips trying to shine a light on the division and trying to make the titles feel important with a tournament but i don't really think it hit the mark between the booking finishes along with the overall match quality i'd give it a c minus d plus where do you land so i think that's way too harsh um let me say it was a B for effort in the, in that they created the teams. They put enough, they didn't just do four teams, right? They gave us a real tournament over multiple weeks. The matches did get adequate time. Some of them were good. Some of them were not as good, but they didn't treat it like Queens crown where it was something they did because they had to, they did this because they wanted to. And I felt like triple H wanted to do it. But the two areas that where it really fell short were they were all, almost all new teams that weren't established, and they didn't give us any backstory or explanation for the teams forming. They didn't show us people working together off screen to learn and develop moves together. There was really nothing behind it that made it feel important other than the fact that titles were on the line. So it was a B for effort. In terms of execution, I would say maybe like a C plus or something like that. Wasn't bad. Glad they did it. If this is the thing that kickstarts a real women's tag team division where teams are developed, they get names and finishers and stories and reasons there together, then it's going to be a huge positive. On its own, I'm glad it happened. Was it the best it could have been? No. Yeah, I was in that C plus, B minus range, but I had the queen's crown as like a df so like this was a definite it was an f definite the queen's crown was an f it was an yeah f. they 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 made this feel like it was a big deal they tried to as best they could to make it feel feel as a big deal they but did. it just missed so many of the top women in the company you know bringing up nikita Lyons and zoe stark having the injuries which wasn't their fault but in the end it just it didn't feel like it was the most important thing going on in the women's division anywhere close to it and um so I'm probably in that C plus B minus range. I give him an A. I give him a B B plus for effort, like you said. But ultimately, with who they had in it, it could only go so high. You know, it's actually fair to say if we're going to criticize the Triple H era for one thing so far, the women's booking has actually been pretty bad. And and that's not what he's not. I mean, he he obviously and NXT William Regal Dusty Rhodes they helped really create the true women's revolution in WWE. And the booking, when you look at Liv Morgan and Shayna Baszler with Ronda Rousey, we'll talk about that later. Bianca Belair doesn't have a singles challenger right now, although I'm sure she will soon. Um, the way that six-woman match has been developed over the last two weeks, the way this tournament went off, the women's booking has actually been one of the lower parts of the entire show over the last two or three weeks. So that's a shock strange. to me. 
And it's something to keep an eye on going forward. I, I don't think it's going to be a long-term issue. I'm not concerned about it. It's not AEW we're dealing with here in Tony Khan. I, I, I trust the Triple H will book the women well. It just it hasn't been great to start, is all I'm saying. All right, let's keep going. We've got a lot more to talk about before we get to the ultimate preview. Johnny Gargano did a pre-show interview before Raw in the stands going over his debut from last week. He basically said, like, Theory didn't ruin his return by coming out because he likes him. That's why they were together in NXT. Then he said Theory did not reach out to him for the entire nine months he was gone, even after the baby was born, and that upset him. So Theory shows up. He walks down the stairs, sits in a seat behind Gargano, and he says, hey, Johnny, why didn't you call me when I won the United States Championship or won the Money in the Bank briefcase? Theory said the baby was just an excuse, and Gargano was on the couch at home jealous the entire time. Now, that's all we got one week after Gargano debuted in a really big moment. I found that a little disappointing, but it was perfectly executed and it felt real given the location, the fact that it harkened back to their NXT relationship. It played into all those old storylines. And yes, we got true continuity from NXT to the main roster. So it was a definite good for me. I liked it. It was good. It was a good, it was a perfectly fine follow-up. You couldn't ignore him. I was very surprised they put this with, I want to say, like right before the main event, I think it was almost like, at the end of the show. Yeah. yeah, it was almost at the end of the show. I didn't understand that at all, because one of the biggest one of the biggest things people were talking about coming out of Raw last week was Johnny Gargano's here. So I'm very surprised they just saved that for the very end. Um, I was looking at the WWE YouTube page. It got very, very it got less than 100,000 views. It's not there's not much going on. I get it, but it was um, it was uh, surprising. So also it, I, the, I liked it. I'm sorry. very surprised by the placement. Also, the second week in a row that the Johnny Gargano segment followed a Champa Dexter Loomis Miz segment. Mm. Not saying, just saying. We'll find out. Uh, by the way, Theory is regaining his name Austin, so he will be Austin Theory again. There's another wrestler who got his first name back. We will talk about that later. And I am told there are at least two others who will be getting name adjustments or changes in the near future. So congratulations to Austin Theory for being a human man again with a full name, um, not a theoretical, um, I, what would I, what would you even call that? Um, what would it's like, it's like, it's like, it's like, uh, it's like Seal or McLovin. Seal is at least an, it's a animal. Like Theory's a concept. I was just, I was, instead of, I was re- that's what it is, concept. Instead of, no, instead of being a concept, yeah. oh, you're yeah, now yeah, a human yeah. man, man again. Yes, that's, what yes. trying, that's what I was trying to say. Yes. All right, uh, let's keep going. Uh, Ricochet fought Happy Corbin on SmackDown. This was a rematch. Before the match, Corbin said it's always one step forward, two steps back for Ricochet. Really tough to argue with that analysis. It is true <laughs> through his yep. entire career. Uh, Ricochet was tossed onto the apron. He landed, a bot- he landed on the bottom rope and immediately hit a corkscrew off the second rope outside, which was awesome. Corbin did a world's strongest slam into the announce table lid. Then he overpowered Rick until he ate a tornado DDT. Rick countered a choke slam into a huracarana, but eight deep six. Corbin avoided the 450 and recoil, but Ricochet hit three kicks and a shooting star press to get the win in 13 minutes. Commentary sold this as a downward spiral for Corbin. They said it was continuing. McAfee used the telestrator on his face. He was going wild with insults while he was doing it. Uh, Hopefully, we are finally moving away from the happy gimmick. We've been asking for this for, what, six months at this point? This was an entertaining match. We did not get 50-50 booking. 
We had a clear, concerted effort to get Ricochet over here, and that made it good. Yeah, it was fine. Like, like I, I hope things can change here. We don't start doing these matches over and over. Ricochet getting wins always good. Once again, Pat McAfee with the Telestrator was pretty funny, and it felt kind of like that's what half the point of the segment was. <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, we've said it a million times. Do something else with Corbin. He's a talented guy who keeps getting stuck in difficult things. Yeah, he needs a better gimmick, and Ricochet needs to. Uh, build up wins and that's what they're doing with him so mm-hmm. it worked for both it was an entertaining match and McAfee was absolutely hysterical once again with the Telestrator I am so glad they added that to his repertoire uh, this one's a little long so the Miz was backstage with Champa, and he refused to shed any light on what happened either after he was abducted or after Dexter Loomis was arrested on NXT last Tuesday, which was pretty cool, by the way. Adam yes, Pierce. I, lo- I love that they did that. I just want to say okay. that they arrested Dexter Loomis on NXT. That little bit of continuity, the acknowledgement. Like when, when he made the appearance and was with Indy Harwell, I was like, wait, what the hell? What, why isn't anybody trying to arrest him? And then they literally did. So I loved that continuity. Just I wanted to say that. Yeah, and if you want to hear more about that, go listen to our Thursday show from last week, NXT and AEW. I do discuss that at length, but yes, Chris, I I, I felt the exact same way when I saw it. It was awesome. So Adam Pierce came up to Miz. He said WWE would give him their full support if he wants mental health counseling or whatever he needs. Miz declined. Then Pierce said Loomis was released from police custody because Miz refused to talk to police or anyone and give them a reason to hold him on charges. Miz was all angry. Uh, that that happened, but he was also angry that Pierce put him in a match with Bobby Lashley. But Pierce pointed out that Miz wouldn't tell him what's wrong. So basically he couldn't react. He had no reason not to book him in a match. Miz was later in the show walking to the ring when Loomis appeared behind him as a security guard. But when Miz turned around like PTSD style, Loomis was gone and there was another man standing there. It was actually extremely well shot. So we did get Lashley and Miz in a non-title match. Lashley beat the shit out of Miz, who was nervous. He was on edge basically the entire time. Miz only got offense after a distraction. Lashley hit a flatliner and almighty spinebuster, but Champa saved Miz from the spear and handed him the necklace with that card in it as a weapon. The referee caught Miz trying to cheat, so Champa blindsided Lashley. Miz hit a basement DDT for a false finish. Miz then went to capitalize with the skull crashing finale, but as he was doing so, he was shell shocked because he noticed Loomis in the audience. There was a really great slow pan of a camera up from the ring through the crowd to Loomis where there was a spotlight on him. But by the time uh, Miz got Champa to see because he wanted him to go attack Loomis, the spotlight was off. Loomis was gone. Miz turned around. He ate the um, hurt lock from Lashley, submitted and lost the match. Later in the parking lot, Miz was getting out of Dodge. He was just wanted to get out of the arena when Champa and Kevin Patrick both tried to stop him. Champa called him Mike, which I thought added some realism to the entire thing. And Miz actually nearly broke his character because he verbally pointed out to Champa that like, he was covered in glitter for some reason. He's like, what's with the glitter? Like, it was just <laughs> very random. If you go back and watch it, you'll get a good laugh at it. Uh, but he hopped into the SUV and he drove off. And as he drove off, the light in the back seat turned on. And of course, Loomis was in the back seat. So I have two thoughts on this that are very divergent. Miz being mentally affected by Loomis it's a fine angle. All those mm-hmm. parts of this worked well. But the major, and I do mean major booking mistake here, was having Lashley as the opponent. If there is anyone on this roster who doesn't need a distraction to beat Miz, 
it's Lashley. This is a spot where you utilize a Mustafa Ali or a Cedric Alexander or T-Bar or anyone else, Veer. You put someone else in this spot, preferably a babyface and not Veer, but you put someone in this spot where Miz has an excuse for taking the loss and that person can get over with a win over a former two-time world champion. On top of that, the match wasn't really entertaining. Perhaps what they could have done is had Lashley backstage watching the match. Ali wins and he's like, oh man, interesting. Maybe I should give Ali a title shot or something like that. So I'm mixed here because the angle is good and I'm giving it a good, but the match booking, in my opinion, at least was terrible. I thought it was a really, really big mistake. All the other elements though, with the storyline, the mind games, it outweighed the match booking. Yeah, this is a good, I appreciate again, like just the details and all of this, basically all of this felt like how a real person would react to these situations. This is one of those things where so many times under the old leadership where things would just be corny, there'd be massive plot holes. Like if, if, if Vince McMahon did this, they 100% would have not run the Dexter Loomis arrested on NXT angle. I don't think I, I think Correct. that that continuity across the leadership helps right now. Miz being like, why was he let, why was he released out of jail? Why am I in a match after everything I've been through? Like he was right. <laughs> he was like, you, you guys are offering me mental help, but you're also putting me in a match with Bobby Lashley. Like that's not helpful. And I was like, He's right. So he, he so was right. You're I, right. Yeah. So so like I, I I appreciated that. I agree that Lashley's not the opponent you need a uh distraction finish for. Also, I get you kind of have to do it this way, but like Dexter Loomis appearing and the spotlight being on him right. was like it was right. like, well, why would they put the spotlight on him? Like, but you kinda you gotta do it for you know, I, I get it. Like, I, I kind of get why they had to. That just stuck out. Uh, and then it would have been nicer if they be, turned up the arena lights as opposed to using the spotlight. Yeah. 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 And so and then him being in the car when he when he when he drives away, like I'm still like I'm interested in it. I have no idea why Loomis is doing this. I'm, I'm very curious what the point of it is. They've they've done this for several weeks now, completely keeping my interest. It's a fascinating combination of two wrestlers <laughs> you know Dexter Loomis and is. The Miz completely different types of characters uh so I'm I'm intrigued um I, I I thought this was this was enjoyable and just again more than anything they got a lot of little things right so when you do something like the spotlight I can look past it because right the the the, the character acting for this is all very good people are acting how they would normally act in these situations so I like that and one other unrelated part we often talk about on this show about how wrestlers often look a lot better in street clothes mm-hmm. and Champa being outside that car with Miz wearing no shirt and jeans. Dude, look jacked. He is jacked. like better than he ever looks in He's a monster. Gear, I think He's like I was like, whoa, yeah. Champa. Hello here. So uh, I just wanted to throw that out there as well. And they've they've totally created an interest in me in Miz and Champa as a team. Like it's something that should not have worked and it wasn't working. And all of a sudden, just with this and Miz um, actually having PTSD and Champa seemingly actually caring for him, though it could be an act, we will find out. Just it all works and it all comes together. So yeah, you're right. 
the storyline, the angle of the entire thing, the way a lot of the elements were produced, as I mentioned, Loomis in the um, hallway as a security guard disappearing the way that was shot with the camera, the slow pan on the crowd up to Loomis, despite the spotlight, all of those elements help you overlook the problems that you might have with it. The spotlight itself, for me, Bobby Lashley being in that match, which I think was asinine. I just made zero sense for him to be in that spot. So yeah, Yeah. good for both of us. Um, I just wish they had used it as a vehicle to help someone else get over as opposed to last. Yeah. One other thing. Last week I said I have, WWE has a very bad track record with kidnappings, with Wyatt family stuff, and just nothing coming out of it. And not explaining. I appreciated that they they immediately followed up and acknowledged, hey, a dude was kidnapped. Something's going on. Stuck with it through NXT. Stuck with it on this show. So again, I appreciate that. Especially because they actually promoted Lashley and Miz before Raw. And I saw people on Twitter being like, well, how, how, how is Miz back? Like, where has he been? Yeah. You know, so they actually told you why and, they, and yep. they gave you that on the show. So that definitely was appreciated. Very good call. Uh, New Day was in the ring on SmackDown with Xavier Woods in a wheelchair, his legs covered with a blanket. They were somber saying the Vikings, Ra- Vikings Raider, I almost called them the Viking Raiders kicked their asses. Woods said they saw the Raiders burning their gimmicks and legacy, and it seemed like they may be going with like a faux retirement type of angle. That's what I thought they were doing. Uh, Eric said New Day got a respectable warrior's funeral, and it made them sick to see New Day weak and groveling. So they decided, hey, we're just going to put you out of your misery. Kofi then drew them into one corner of the ring when they entered as Woods rose out of the wheelchair with kendo sticks and New Day beat their asses. The wheelchair got tossed out of the ring. And McAfee made the perfect Kevin Nash reference, hearkening back to WCW and Nitro when he had the fake cast on his leg, came out of the wheelchair and kicked ass as well. I thought it was good stuff overall. It was It's a mid-card TV, TV feud, basically, at this point. The one thing I would like to see is some development for New Day. I'm not saying they need to be humorless, but maybe we can push past like the unicorn horns and golden girls gear and become... 33% more serious. They need to evolve. New Day, over the last like two to three years, it has stopped evolving. And mm-hmm. if they can gain an edge, that will help them. And it would also help, especially if Biggie is able to come back. You know, we're, we're crossing our fingers and knocking on wood for him, obviously. But in the next three, six, nine months, if, if Biggie is able to come back, that would be huge. So... And I really, it's six or nine months, not three. And that's if at all, of course, I'm just saying. New Day needs to evolve no matter what. And it would be even better if they do it before Biggie comes back, if he is able to. That's really what I'm trying to say. Look, we know every week I'm not into this New Day slash new Vicious Viking Raiders thing. And they're still saying new and vicious like here and there. No, um, only Xavier Woods is saying it as a mock. They're not yes. calling them that. And commentary is not calling them that. And so... So they they made the Kevin Nash reference, and we all thought it was coming. We've all seen the the gif. Uh, Xavier is wearing the red New Day rocks type of NW Wolfpack shirt, and he's got the leg propped up, but it wasn't a fake leg. Like he just had a fake. He had a he had a boot on, but like he got up with the boot on. They didn't like right. they didn't do the fake leg that was hanging up there. That's the whole. That's the whole bit like they 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 got so close to doing it but didn't actually do it well it doesn't have to be an exact replica no but that's the whole otherwise what what do you need the cover for what are you covering your legs for if he was covering the kendo sticks 
I, I guess. I guess he was covering the Kendall. That's six, what but he was like, doing. I was just like, yeah. it, it, what makes the Kevin Nash bit so great is that the fake leg is there. I just, I wanted it hangs to out there at that. the end. Yes. Yes. That. Yes. yes. That's what makes. But they couldn't really do good. a shot for shot remake of it. I mean, I mean, no, they could have. Like, I, I was, I was, but. I just, we were all waiting for it because it was like so obviously set up and then they didn't quite do it. I just was irked by that. This was like, it's fine. Like you, we wanted to get serious. I guess beating them down with Kendo six is kind of pretty serious an attempt to do that. Yeah. But I just, I still just don't care about this at all. It, it was fine. I, it's, it's a light, light, light good. It wasn't bad like the other ones, but I still just, I don't really care about this. All right. Uh, Street Profits on SmackDown were trotting along backstage when Hit Row came up aggressively saying they want the smoke. Montez Ford say, hey, we all have something in common. So tongue in cheek, all five of them looked at their skin, referencing being black before revealing what they actually had in common is that they're all about the money. I just thought it was a very smart moment between all of them, very tongue-in-cheek. I appreciated it. I think a lot of fans did as well. Later in the show, Maximum Male Models were doing a photo shoot for some reason in a parking lot when Hit Row's music uh, started playing and there was a tour bus parked that started lighting up in different colors. Max Dupree got angry, but Maxine had an idea to find Los Lotharios, who, for some reason, you need to find Los Lotharios because they have spray paint. So they decided to spray paint the bus. They poorly wrote Hit Row Sucks in what to me looked like dry erase marker, not spray paint. Hit Row said yeah. the beef could yeah. be settled in the <laughs> ring and that it wasn't their bus. The Prophets then walked out of the bus surprised. I just, I failed to understand the use of the Prophets here unless we're getting them versus Los Lotharios on Raw while Hit Row and the models do their match next week on SmackDown. But Raw came and went. And the Prophets fought Alpha Academy, like we're going to talk about in a moment. So that didn't make any sense. I, again, appreciated the tongue-in-cheek nature of the earlier part. And if I was grading that part alone, I would give it a good. But the spray paint stuff was incredibly trite. It didn't even look like real spray paint. No. I don't understand the aggression between all these people. I know it's a low-card feud. And I'm glad that four different teams are interacting. That's good. But I'm giving it overall a bad because everything that happened in the parking lot was just trash. It's a bad, but like you said, I do appreciate the effort of trying to get all these teams involved. It feels like they don't know what to do with maximum male models anymore. And it makes me wonder what the plan was outside of a couple of runway shoots, right. which was my concern after they did it. Um, you know, it followed up on Hit Row in, in, interrupting maximum male models last time. So like there was a little bit of continuity there, but it just feels like it's going nowhere. Shout out to the profits for apparently getting a bus. Uh, right. When they're out on of nowhere. Yeah. And, and, and when they were not even on their own show, like they took it to SmackDown or something. I don't know. Like, sure. It, it was, right. We've it was never bad. seen it on the show that they're on weekly, but on the show they're not on, we see it, we see it there. Yeah. Yeah. It's extremely odd overall. Uh, so speaking of the profits, let's get to the final segment here on the good, the bad and the ugly. So Kurt Angle came out on Raw in Pittsburgh shirtless in a robe with his real Olympic gold medal around his neck when Alpha Academy quickly cut him off. Obviously, right away, I popped. I was Gable and Angle. I knew it was going to be great. Very excited. Uh, Gable called Angle a personal hero. Angle did the broken freaking neckline to a pop. Gable said they wanted a new Alpha Academy member and got cheap heat trashing Pittsburgh before offering Angle the chance to join for one night only. Angle passed. Gable cut off Angle saying it's true with shoosh. Then they screamed shoosh at each other 
which was like classic Kurt Angle backstage segment type of deal. Gable and Otis were then ready to attack Angle when the Street Profits ran out in Steelers colors to get his back. Montez Ford rhymed about being pissed about what happened on SmackDown and wanting a fight. And then Gable accepted as long as Angle promised to join the Academy if the Profits lost. So we got Profits in the Academy. Gable countered Ford, flipping over the ropes for a blockbuster directly into a Northern Light suplex. Great spot. Gable got the ankle lock on Ford, but Montez literally stood up to escape it, flipped out of it, then put the ankle lock on Gable, who sold the hell out of it. I thought he was going to make him tap. Otis splashed Ford to break the, the submission. Then he trash-talked Angle at ringside. All of a sudden, Angelo Dawkins comes in from out of nowhere and pounces Otis over the announce table, slapped Angle high five while running back to the ring apron. He did an assisted pounce German suplex and then set up Ford for the frog splash to get the win in 16 minutes. After the bell, Angle was given a cup from the Profits. He just sprayed the liquid everywhere. He hated it. He then goes behind the commentary desk, grabs pints of milk, and chugs the milk with the guys. Otis then stumbled out of the announce booth at the end. They gave me Angle and Gable as I requested. So it was an automatic good as far as that happened. But beyond that, they were really funny together. Even if that first segment was kind of a big shrug, the crowd was disappointing because it was dead for the match until that finish. The finish of that match was outstanding. Like it was just so freaking exciting. The pounce, the high five with Angle, the stuff in the ring. Then we got the post-match on top of it with the milk, a great callback. So even though there were rough patches here, this ended up being excellent. It was. And honestly, this was something I was thinking maybe could have opened the show. Like they opened Toronto mm-hmm. with Tristratus last week. And I thought that would have been a good way to get the crowd really into it off the off the bat. Um, look, Gable and Angle, the connections have always been there. They actually did wrestle in 2019 once briefly on, on Kurt's retirement tour. Uh, I have not watched the table for three with Kurt Angle, Gable, and Otis. Um, I know that's something I haven't watched it yet. Very good. Did you watch it? Yeah, very entertaining. Okay, yeah. And and so it was great to see Gable and Angle do the shushing and all that. When 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 Kurt comes out without the shirt, I'm like, oh, is this guy about to take some bumps and stuff? What what is going on here? I was like, I think he just had like both knees replaced or something like that. <laughs> well, why is what what I really don't think he's in a good position to, to take a bump. He ultimately didn't. Right. So I'm kind of surprised he just came out shirtless, but good for him. Maybe he wants to do the Chris Jericho thing and just kind of show it off. So that was fine. This was funny at the end. It started slow. Again, this was another match. People in the crowd weren't interested in because they wanted Kurt Angle and they weren't getting Kurt Angle. They were getting a different match. So once Kurt got involved at the end, people were were into that. So this was definitely a good, definitely fun. 2001 Kurt Angle, I think, is my favorite wrestler ever. The run he went on that year good guy, bad guy, champion, the Austin match at SummerSlam, the invasion stuff. I mm-hmm. that That is my favorite wrestler in a moment right there. So anytime Kurt Angle shows back up, I love it. Getting to watch his entrance uh, at WrestleMania 34 in New Orleans was a, a childhood dream come true. So anytime Kurt shows up, it's great. The A&E biography on him also was very good a couple weeks back. Really gets into his... Um, his uh, uh, painkiller addiction and stuff like that. So recommend that, but shout out to Kurt Angle. He seems to be in a good place. Yeah, he does seem to be in a really good place. Um, I love, sometimes he posts videos with his daughter, like recreating yeah. old, you know, segments that he did in WWE. He's a lot of fun. It's great to see him have this like 
post-career life, especially given the addictions and some of the issues that he had. But you're right. Like Angle, I don't want to say he was underrated, but I don't know that he gets the appreciation he deserves for being as great as he was during that time because there were so many other legendary great wrestlers there with him that sometimes he gets overshadowed. He was excellent. This was excellent. And we also got later in the show on Raw a funny callback segment to that legendary Edge, Kurt Angle backstage moment where Edge handed him pictures and there were messages written on the back. They did the exact same thing here, this time with like larger cardboard signs with pictures on them. Uh, He was put into a good mood angle because they were reminiscing about their funny moments together until Edge left the locker room and Angle realized the messages were on the back. Mysterios were there laughing at him. We'll talk about what happened with them later. But I think the lesson learned from this and the prior segment as well that we were just talking about is this is how you use a legend on TV. You bring them back. You try to pop a little bit of a rating and, you know, get a good crowd reaction for them being at home. And you give them multiple segments interacting with multiple people that entertain the fans. It doesn't have to be super serious. You just need to remind people why you like the person in the past and help them give a little bit of rub one way or the other to new wrestlers. And we got all of that on Raw. They gave us entertainment for the new fans, respect for the older fans, all in the Kurt Angle package. And they just crushed it. I thought it was a really, really good use of Angle. And the and the Edge Angle segment, uh, the most views from Raw of anything on YouTube. Interesting. Okay. Very good. Well, folks, that is it for the good, the bad, and the ugly. That means we can finally move on to the reason we are here today. The WWE Clash at the Castle Ultimate Preview. As we mentioned earlier, there are only six matches booked right now for the stadium show despite the fact that this is the first time the United Kingdom is getting a WWE pay-per-view in a stadium for over three decades, 30 years. And I think you and I both agree, Chris, the card is relatively thin given those circumstances. But of the six matches that we have to discuss, five of them, we have a ton to talk about leading into the show. So I'm not going to waste any time. We're going to go through what happened on Raw and SmackDown leading into these matches And then on top of that, we're going to give you a pick and prediction, what we think is going to go down and what it means for storylines going forward. And at the very end of our ultimate preview, we will give you a pre-show expectation grade. And we'll tell you what that means and why we're going to go ahead and do that once we wrap up the ultimate preview. So let's start with the newest match added to the show, Edge and Rey Mysterio going against Judgment Day. So on Raw, We had AJ Styles and Dolph Ziggler against Judgment Day. Commentary did a really good job explaining why Styles and Ziggler were actually teaming together. Styles locked Damian Priest in the calf crusher. There was a rough sequence with Styles unable to counter properly because Priest is so much bigger than him. Ziggler blind tagged, but eight south of heaven as Judgment Day won in eight minutes with Finn Balor barely wrestling in the match, by the way. The right team won, the right person took the fall, and I appreciated Priest getting the win with a signature and not a finisher. All that does is make it more effective in the future. Do you have anything to say about the match before we kind of keep going here? No, only that it took quite a while for the match to start. I'm not gener- I'm not a fan in general of wrestling shows immediately starting with TV, starting immediately with a match, especially when this one was kind of a long entrance. But match was fine. It was it was exactly what it should have been. But you're right. We got like three entrances, 30 seconds of commercial, and then we came we, back we, to the match. It was not yeah. WWE's best. 
you know, that, that's fair to say. Uh, so Judgment Day after the match, they were walking out. Edge pulled up in an SUV. They went back into the ring because they wanted to confront him. Rhea Ripley said she wanted to destroy Edge. Balor went off about legends like Edge and Rey Mysterio getting A&E specials while no one is doing anything for them. Then he called himself the Monday Night Maestro, which not my favorite name, but it also just not terrible. And it kind of came out of nowhere. So I don't know if that's a gimmick he's going with. That was weird. Uh, Priest then challenged Edge to face him without the home field advantage he got in Toronto and without the one person who wears the pants in the family, Beth Phoenix. Edge made his huge entrance. He said he and Mysterio don't want to steal glory. They're there to help others reach their level. Edge threw the pants line back as expertly as he ever could. He told Ripley to watch her back for Phoenix because she would probably come after her. Then the Mysterios attacked from behind with kendo sticks. The ring cleared except for Dominic and Rhea. Dom allowed Rhea for some reason to slowly take his kendo stick away from him. The guys, Edge and Ray, were surprised by that. And then once she got the stick, Balor and Priest pulled her out of the ring. Dom later told Ray that he thought it would be a family thing, thing at Clash of the Castle. Ray said Edge is like family, but he has the experience that Ray needs to go up against Judgment Day. Dom understood and he hugged his father and that ended the backstage segment. Now, this just kind of annoyed me, right? Because what we should have gotten here was Edge versus Finn Balor clash at the castle. It was right there for WWE to book. Edge already beat Priest and this is in the United Kingdom. I know that Balor is not from the United Kingdom, but he's European. It's the same area. It's close enough where it would have made sense for Finn Balor, this super over guy over there, to get a singles match against a legend in Edge. Instead, I thought, okay, at least we're going to get a really unique six-man tag team match with Dominic and Rhea Ripley in there. That's cool. But we're not getting that. Instead, we basically got the least interesting version of the match we could, really for no good reason. And I get it. Edge and Mysterio, their former SmackDown tag team champions from back in the day, fine. But it is so far inferior to Edge and Balor. And I like all four guys that are going to be in this match. Plus, it kind of seems like it's setting up for Dominic to turn, which was the right booking two months ago. Let's not forget, the Mysterios beat Judgment Day twice. So why does Ray need Edge when he already beat them with Dom? So yes. it's just odd that a match with Edge, Mysterio, and Balor, it is not creating any excitement for me. But that is the case here. It just is. It feels repetitive. It doesn't feel like there's anything on the line. There's no stakes because we've seen so many variations of this and they didn't book us the single most interesting option that was out there. Yes, uh, it was a lot there. I will say, first off, it was weird that Edge said, why don't you guys come after me? I'm here alone. And then he immediately wasn't alone <laughs> because the Mysterios came in to help. Mm -hmm. I loved, I love that Mysterios shirt that yellow shirt that they have. I think it's new. I think that's the first time they've seen it. It was very nice. I think it looks great. I really yeah. like it. So shout out to the shirt team for, for that. Rhea talking Dom away from giving her the kendo stick was really interesting. And like, I, I don't really know where it goes from there. Is it going to be a Dominic turn? I don't know. Is he being literally beaten into submission? I don't know. Rhea also, by the way, looked Different once again. The last couple of weeks, she's worn completely different outfits. I think it's all working. She's really, honestly, kind of being presented as the semi leader. Like they've got her in the middle when they walk out. She's jumping on, doing her own thing with the ring. I think it's really cool. 
And yeah, the ultimate, the, the, the thing to do here would have been a three versus three. And it could be Dom versus Rhea. You can do like, we've talked about how that's a situation you can make it work. Or if you just, you want to get rid of Dom and find some other woman to put in this, like then do it that way. I'm very surprised that this is the result that we're getting. Absolutely. So do you want to go ahead and kind of give your prediction for the match? The pick is the Judgment Day, uh, which also has a new shirt, which is okay. Um, because they've lost the previous two times, I think they need a win out of one of these. Um, and uh, I think there's a really solid chance we get a Dominic turn as being the reason. Yeah, completely agree with both of those things. You, you know, the, the baby faces, the legends, Edge and, uh, you know, Rey Mysterio need a a reason kind of to lose to these guys, right? Like Edge has already beaten uh, Damian Priest one-on-one. I think Finn Balor beat Rey Mysterio one-on-one, probably with a distraction if memory serves. So it's a little bit 50-50 that way. You can make a case to get Edge and Rey winning because you get a huge pop in a stadium. Again, 30 years they haven't been in the United Kingdom, put the baby faces over. I do think that would make a lot of sense if they did it, but it doesn't seem like it's set up that way. In fact, it seems set up to me, not for every match, but for a lot of the matches on this card for the heels to win, which, you know, maybe they'll swerve us and and, and surprise us to some degree. But yeah, I think you have to go with Judgment Day, probably with Dom either turning or being the catalyst for the loss. For some reason, he's put in a bad position, distracts, something like that happens. So we're on the same page there, but I think we both also agree. Not as excited for this as we should be, especially given it's one of the six matches on the card. So let's move to the six-woman tag team match. Bailey, Dakota Kai, and Io Sky against Bianca Belair, Asuka, and Alexa Bliss. On Raw, Belair, Asuka, and Bliss had a match against three jobbers. Belair hit a KOD on one woman, and Asuka got the Asuka lock on the other for the submission in three minutes. Belair said she's been holding down Raw since WrestleMania. Asuka did her line. Belair then said they would take control of the show. I just thought this whole thing was a complete waste of time. And it was a rare instance of a total lack of creativity from WWE under Triple H. Much better would have been to do a backstage segment or even a vignette, a video package outside of the arena of the baby faces bonding, going out to dinner together, you know, doing an activity, running an obstacle course, training ahead of their match, figuring out tag team moves, but there was none of that. It was a squash match against jobbers that didn't need to happen given Belair, Asuka, and Bliss are all former world champions. Um, Asuka and Bliss are also former tag team champions now that I think about it. And so bringing the jobbers in accomplished nothing. The promos that they cut accomplished nothing because the heels didn't answer them. So like if I had an option, I would have given this a bad or an ugly in that segment but to me, yep. it didn't build the match at all. I, I didn't care at all. I, I I just thought it was a huge miss. Nope, completely. It, it felt like they realized, oh, we got to do something with these women before the show because this is the go-home raw. I don't know, throw them in a, a six-woman match with some jobbers and off we go. It was nothing. Completely like, had they done times. a video package like I'm talking them. about and then had them run out in the main event to, you know, get Bailey away from ringside, that would have been great. Yeah. Like, you know what they should have done? Like a training montage, like a Rocky, Look, they, they, Rocky they, training they booked, montage. They yeah, done. they booked this six-woman tag like several weeks ago, right after SummerSlam, I think. The day after, I think, yeah, or um, a week after. Yes. And, they, then, they, and yeah. then they had no idea what to do with the faces after that. 
The, the, yeah, the there's no build. The the, well, they had both teams in the tournament. They had both teams in the tournament. They had the heels, uh, I think, cheat, if I remember, or they did something. There was a distraction, maybe, to beat Asuka and Bliss. So, the, and then they just took a break. And they're like, yeah. oh, we'll get back to it. And they're, them getting back to it was putting them against jobbers. It, the build for this is just, again, the, the women's booking across both shows. It's been the down point so far of the Triple H era, which is just odd. That is not what we would have expected here. Um, maybe after this, it picks up. I know that they were obviously thrown a wrench when Becky Lynch got injured at SummerSlam. That wasn't an expectation. They had to fill in with Alexa Bliss, but there's no way replacing Becky with Bliss changed this so much that this is where we're at. So uh, just disappointing. In terms of the show, you know, I would have said that Belair, Asuka, and Bliss would win if Dakota and Io had won the women's tag team championships because that would have created a reason for them to get a title match in addition to the fact that they wanted a rematch coming out of the tournament. And if we do potentially get the debut return of Sasha Banks and Naomi at Clash of the Castle, it would have made sense for them to come in and confront the baby faces if, in my booking, they were going to align with the heels. But you just had Kai and Sky lose the finals of this tag team tournament. You are trying to establish this women's group as damage control, as control, whatever the hell they're going to call it. They're supposed to be important. And I do not see how you can have them lose the tournament finale, then come into a pay-per-view and lose a six-woman tag team match against a group that, sure, all talented, we love them all, completely thrown together. Bliss should be the one to take the fall. She is the clear person here to lose. If it's Asuka, I'm going to be pissed, but it's understandable. Asuka's not booked as strong as we would like, but I would have the heels pin Bliss. I would have them do it clean, and I do pick Bailey, Dakota Kai, and Sky winning this match. Yeah, this is this was this was always 100% going to be Bailey's group winning this match. Like <laughs> they're a team. They they they're going up against three people thrown together. There's no other way that was going to change. That is how they are going to win this. Bliss or Oscar takes the pin. Even if Kai and Sky had won the women's tag team titles, I'd still be picking them. There is zero doubt in my mind that they are winning their first match as a big threesome here in this pay-per-view. Uh, undoubtedly. All righty. Let's move to another non-title match on the show. Matt Riddle against Seth Rollins. Now, before Raw, this was very interesting. A few fans started tweeting Raw footage they shot on their cell phones of Rollins and Riddle getting into an argument, tussle, whatever you want to call it, in the parking lot loading dock area. And then rather than use high-definition cameras or security footage or anything like that, WWE used simulated fan video, basically a planted person with a cell phone is what I'm trying to say, to show the fight before what was a scheduled split screen interview segment. The stuff in the parking lot, I thought it was fantastic, inventive. Again, another example, Chris, of world building outside of what happens in the arena and in front of fans. It felt authentic, not canned, and it just felt like a slice of reality being shown to you as a television viewer. I first saw this uh, on Instagram. I was scrolling and it popped up and I was like, oh, this is like a new different way to do that. Again, something that I do not think would have happened at all under the previous creative direction. Just like a little thing that makes it feel totally different. And honestly, when I saw that, 
that's the moment I was like, all right, I'm I'm in on Rollins Riddle now. Like we we've said for weeks that there's not really we don't understand why this is happening, but they've gone over and over and over again that they're just fighting everywhere. That I'm like, all right, I'm I'm into it now. And that was the bit that got me into it. Also because of the way that they shot it. I appreciated the creativity behind that. So that alone got you into it, you're saying? Yes. Before anything the, else that, happened on Raw. Correct. That was okay. the one that got me over the edge of like, all right, I'm into this now. Okay. So I appreciated it. I liked it. But for me, it felt like a continuation of last week where they brawled and it was like, all it right, did. they're brawling again. I'm like, I, I kind of rolled. My, I mean, I, I loved what they did and how they presented it. But I was kind of like, all right, okay, yeah, let's just see what they do on Raw. Like I, I, I wasn't overly excited because of that. Now, what followed that was a split screen interview uh, in that. Uh, hosted by Corey Graves. He was the moderator. Rollins said, no one likes Riddle and he's going to finish him at Clash of the Castle on behalf of the entire locker room. Riddle said he's going to be there for a long time. Rollins said he'd put him on the shelf with Cody Rhodes and finally go after the WWE Undisputed Universal Championship. Rollins then said he would prove he's the man around here. Riddle said he would prove that the only man in Rollins' marriage is Becky. And I thought this was blah. Like, if it wasn't scripted, it sounded at least pre-taped, boilerplate. The storyline remained really thin. I wrote a note that I really wish they had brought some of their real-life beef that they had. They squashed it, I think, like six months ago or a year ago. But they used to have a real-life beef over something Riddle said about Becky and Rollins about his wife. It's, it's a whole thing. I'm not going to get into it. Um, but I was also going to say we couldn't demand that they talk about their real-life beef. Well, number one, because it was squashed. But number two... Because Riddle just got divorced and like, that's probably a really sore subject. And my only takeaway really was that Riddle got his first name back. They called him Matt Riddle. Yes. He had Matt yeah. Riddle on the graphic. Yes. And also, 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 okay. he also Riddle uh, used the who wears the pants in the family line as a face. That was the reverse in the edge situation earlier. Yes. Like it, was it, was, it was, that was, it was very, well, it was repetitive, but also inconsistent because it came from the heel. Right. And then it came from the, then it came from the face. So this ends and I think they go to commercial soon after that. And I'm yeah. like, man, all right, at least the match will bang. Like we, yeah. we agreed that this match has a chance to steal the show. And I'm like, all right, at least it'll be a great match. And then all of a sudden we come back from commercial and we're told, Hey, viewing audience, there's more for you to see. Because Rollins and Riddle were still mic'd up after the interview ended. So let's roll that footage for you. And Rollins is sitting there steaming. You can almost see the steam coming out of his ears. It wouldn't have been that bad if they actually you know, threw it in with CGI or something. But he's sitting there stewing and steaming because Riddle talked about his family. So Rollins called Riddle out for his wife divorcing him and taking his kids because they don't want to see his bitch ass anymore. Riddle then starts screaming at him. I'm not going to beat you up. I'm going to fuck you up, bro. Where the fuck are you? I'm going to smash your face. And obviously the fucks were bleeped. And suddenly, out of nowhere, the intensity got ratcheted up from like a three to a ten. And yeah. I was so yeah. ready, Chris. I was so ready to shit on this build because it was lackluster and uninteresting, despite the talent of these guys, and they turn it on a dime. Rollins was a piece of shit for mentioning it. Riddle suddenly morphed from... And whoa, 
I'm really high. The cool, chill, stoner dude to the violent MMA fighter that he used to be, even though he still smoked weed then. It was like he took a stoner mask off and showed his real personality. And it worked particularly well because it explained the prior lack of intensity as basically both of these guys keeping it PG for the cameras as professionals. It also hit me in the feel spot because this was a direct recreation of the infamous John Jones, Daniel Cormier off-air segment that aired on ESPN before one of their big uh, UFC pay-per-view fights, somewhere in the 180s, I think, or something like that. So not only did they execute this expertly, but it was a reference to something that was infamous and in the zeitgeist of combat sports that a lot of people recognized. And it felt like they knew I was criticizing or they knew the audience was criticizing and saying, man, this is kind of boring. Nothing's really happening here. And they go, you know what? Okay, check this out. And they just turned it on a dime and swerved us all. And that popped me even more. I mean, Rollins was told he wasn't the man of the household. And he responded, oh yeah, your wife left you. She took your kids. They all hate you and no one loves you, you bitch. <laughs> I mean, holy shit, that's crazy. Yeah. And if you're Riddle, you have no way to respond to that. The only way to respond to that is to beat the shit out of the other person. Yeah. I loved it in every conceivable manner. This was probably the segment of the weekend. I yeah. think even more yeah. than any of the Roman Reigns stuff. And, and um, it just it, uh, Okay, go ahead. It's close. It's, it's close. It, it, it's close. This was just, it was out of nowhere and... Look, they go, they cut back and Jimmy Smith goes, apologies for the language, which is hilarious because they put the language in there. When was the last time we had an F word bleep like that on, on WWE television? I, I like you, you'll get things like that are silenced. They're not bleeped, you know, like, cause they so, know it's coming at a time or something like that. Like that, that just, it felt different when you get the bleep as opposed to like cut the audio. That makes there, a difference. There are two times I think where I've seen it. One is NXT, Andre Chase. Uh, okay, I, I didn't see that one. Uh, but I thought that Drew McIntyre got bleeped recently. Maybe. I you, think you, he did. You might be right, but like, I, think Drew I just can't remember the last time I got a, hey, fuck you, bro, on <laughs> WWE <laughs> television like that, that was bleeped. Wild. And look, we, we said, we said for, I've said for a long time that look, Riddle had found a character that had worked but he wasn't like he did. He still looked. He was like an innocent it's, child. It was one note. Feel like it didn't feel like world champion to me. Right. Although you still like to think you could. This is the riddle now. They've given us the serious Matt Riddle that we've asked for for a while, and this is the one that you is a guy you could believe could win the world championship at some point. I have to say, after preface this all, anytime they bring up these personal real life things mm-hmm. for promos. I really hope, and I, I would assume, but I, I really hope that there is a honest discussion about these things being brought up beforehand and like, like, are you really cool with this? Stuff like that. Like the one time Charlotte uh, Page brought up um, Charlotte's brother who had died. There was a lot of backlash for that one. Uh, I just hope this was all decided under a proper environment, um, but it, it certainly ratcheted up the intensity in infinitely yeah. for something out of nowhere and was the thing that we were all talking about coming out of the show. Well, this isn't Eddie Kingston and Sammy Guevara and AEW. I mean, this is WWE, Riddle Rollins, 
you know, right. I'm pretty confident. It's, it's, and, it was saying, it wasn't, and it was taped. It wasn't, it wasn't a live promo. I don't mean taped. it was off. It wasn't like off the cuff, like yeah. Sammy Guevara said about Eddie Kingston. I, I'm saying more like in the discussion that, hey, let's bring up your divorce. Like, I just hope that was done in a uh, I, healthy environment. I care more about that because the kids were mentioned than the divorce. Yes. Itself. That, that too. So that I, too. I, I yep, do agree absolutely. with you. I do agree with you, but I mean, I, I'm going to assume it was fine, right? Um, yes. Before we get to the actual match, I did have one more thought, kind of playing off of what you just said about this. I wonder if this kicks off a storyline that we've been curious about for some time, which is Riddle dropping kind of the happy-go-lucky gimmick, the stoner type of gimmick, and becoming more serious to the point that he maybe actually morphs into Randy Orton. Because... I could totally see this kicking off him becoming more violent and more aggressive. And then Orton comes back and he wants his RK bro buddy along by his side again because Randy's an older guy and he enjoys the friendship. But Riddle's now gone too far and they lose the tag team title opportunity. Riddle snaps and turns heel on Orton. Like, I know that's a little bit of booking the damn territory and kind of extrapolating this going forward, but it really does seem plausible that this was the moment where Riddle snapped, and now nothing is going to be the same with him. Not that he can't go back to being Stoner Riddle, but this was a character change, not just a moment of violence. That's kind of the way I look at this. That's a good. That's a good point. And you know, you had talked before about Matt Riddle as a heel at some point, mm-hmm. and I was like, I just I don't see it in him. I have not seen it in him. Now you can kind of see it. Now, now you can. Now this just like you said opens up a door to a lot more different things you can do with him and the eventual return of randy orton uh is the biggest part of that so yeah Yeah. there's a whole lot more you can do now this to me also created a huge booking quandary because going into this i had rollins as the winner kind of a no doubter he's been talking about the universal championship he's lost all of these feuds these multi-month feuds against legends and and cody coming back and he lost three matches in a row to Cody, including one where he had a torn pectoral that looked disgusting at Hell in a Cell. So I'm like, man, this has to be Rollins winning. And now I'm looking at it and I'm saying, I'm thinking, how the hell does Riddle not win this? He needs to kill this guy. Like, that's what he wants to do. And that is where I think the booking comes into play, the creative. I think Riddle takes it too far in the match, whether that is using a weapon, not listening to the referee's instructions. I know that we are going to be disheartened by it, but I have a feeling that this is going to wind up in a situation where we get a disqualification or a no contest or a double count out or something on the show where we come out of it and say, holy shit, that was a banger match, but I wish they didn't end it that way. With the idea probably of doing a rematch at Crown Jewel with a stipulation, whether that is last man standing, false count anywhere, street fight, whatever the case might be. That is how I feel like this is going to go. But because we cannot predict and we don't predict no contests and double countouts here, we always pick a winner. I'm going to stick with Rollins as the winner here. And I know that is kicking this off with three heel victors and and there's going to be more to come. I'm going to spoiler alert that for you. But I don't know that it really makes sense to have Riddle go over Rollins when Rollins really should be getting elevated back into world title contention as has been teased for multiple weeks now. Yes. Not just multiple weeks, but months really. And 
I'm going Rollins as well. I don't know if it's going to be a DQ type of finish, but I do think there's an op. If, if this was under Vince, I would say that, but I do think there's a possibility this starts off a storyline of a downward spiral for Riddle that they really go into in a way that they did not go into with Becky Lynch and that he's that maybe just everything's going wrong for Riddle. You got some of that real life stuff in there and then maybe Randy Orton's return is what brings him back. Some, something like that. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm picking Rollins to win. Could it be a DQ? It's possible. I, I don't, I don't think it happens that way, but I do think we could see something where Riddle is too aggressive, takes it too far, loses control, and it causes him to lose the match. I, I, I see that happening as well. Yeah, that could happen where like um, the referee needs to talk to him and that distracts him. And then when he turns around, Rollins catches him with a forearm and then hits the stomp and wins or something like that. So yes, I agree. I think no matter what though, we're on the same page, which is that Riddle can't win or he shouldn't win in this spot. Uh, agree. It, which is weird coming out of that promo segment. Like normally it it's like, oh, the guy, the guy went too far and now, now the face is going to win. But like it, 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 even Riddle's reaction was just, again, in an edgier type of way that it feels like a lot more possibilities are on the table. Yeah, I, I just completely agree with that. So let's move over to the Intercontinental Championship match. Gunther defending against Sheamus. And I will note, once again, I actually don't have the exact note that I've been saying here, but I believe, if memory serves, this is the first time the Intercontinental title is being defended on a pay-per-view or premium live event since WrestleMania 37. That is 2020. So we're talking like, I think it was 17 months at my last count. The Intercontinental Championship, the historic title, the historic number two title in WWE for nearly the entire existence of the company. It's the first time being defended on pay-per-view in 17 months. It's Gunther versus Sheamus. On SmackDown, Sheamus entered with the brawling brutes into the ring. They were nicely dressed for a change, which I thought was pretty cool. Gunther came out very quickly. Sheamus said he's the real ring general because he's beat the best of the best in WWE throughout his career. He named a lot of people, including Triple H, by the way, and then did the banger after banger line, which is more clear than the version I have, so I'm not going to play it. But if anyone can get me that clip, I would love to replace the one that I have on the soundboard with this banger line. So please find it and send it to me. He said he respects Gunther, but wants the title so bad he will drag it off his lifeless body. Gunther shared the respect, but promised to teach Sheamus about violence, break his body, and make him bleed to retain the title. The Brutes and Ludwig Kaiser then brawled as Gunther and Sheamus held their face-to-face stare in the ring while like throwing one arm out, almost like the brawling Brutes and uh, Kaiser were children. And you're like, you're having a conversation with another parent and you're trying to keep the kids like from, (laughs) you know, playing or or running away. They kept their stare face-to-face in the ring. They had one arm out to get the people behind them. And that was how this segment ended. It was quite a sight, no pun intended there. This was simultaneously funny and intense, which is really tough to pull off, especially with guys like this. It was just a perfect build to what should be a slobber knocker, as JR would say, or as Big E would say. Big meaty man slapping me. (laughs) Because there is going to be a lot of beef out there on Saturday afternoon. There's a lot of beef out here. Most importantly, this made the Intercontinental Championship feel important. And given that, Chris, I just don't know what else you would do 
than having Gunther retain the title. Yes, there is something to be said for Sheamus potentially winning every single title in WWE. I think becoming the first to ever do that, or I forgot what the stat is around that, but this is the one title, the Intercontinental Championship that has eluded him. They are in the United Kingdom. It would sure as hell make a lot of sense for them to do it in Europe if they were ever going to do it. But Gunther has elevated this title so much. They've put so much stock into Gunther as the Intercontinental Champion. Sheamus is a heel. Let's not forget, he's not even a baby face in this match. They're both heels. So for me, you have Gunther win, even though I would love it if Sheamus got the moment. Yeah, I obviously, like Finn Balor, Sheamus is not from the UK. And technically, yes, from Europe. Gunther isn't either. Yeah. What? They're from Europe. Yeah, so... Right. Right, we're right. So it you so that kind of goes out the window. This was I just like this was everything I wanted out of this moment. And I talked about it last week too, of like Seamus kind of dropping the oh, we're just old people in an alley looking for a fight and that's it. And that's our character. Like this guy ran down his entire resume to be like, Oh yeah, Seamus is a big fucking deal. Mm-hmm. He beat Roman Reigns. Uh, for a title. He beat Triple H. He beat all these guys. Like, you should take him seriously. There's so much of Sheamus where he's just booked as, like, just a guy to help other guys get over, to do other these things, and you kind of forget that, like, Sheamus really is that dude. And honestly, I think this is going to be my pick for match of the night. I think it's this is going to one, I think it's going to really surprise us that they're just going to beat the ever-loving shit out of each other. And I think of the, the Gunther... Uh, slash Walter Dragonoff matches. It's a little different dynamic, but mm-hmm. I could totally see something like that happening. Where you, and, and you can totally see either of these guys winning. Like it's you not could. like, oh, obviously Gunther's got to win to keep it going. Like Sheamus could win. Now I'm picking Gunther, but like if Sheamus won, I wouldn't be like stunned. Like and it, it makes perfect sense, and they built it up that way. I just this is the but but this is ultimately the moment where we go, okay, Gunther is like a dude. Gunther is one of these guys, and we've been waiting for it ever since he won the title. The Nakamura stuff was fine, you know, but it was just a lot of jobbers, a lot of nothing. This is the one that I think establishes him, and I am very, very much looking forward to this. I thought this go-home segment, or not technically not a go-home segment, but the face-to-face segment was just perfect for what it needed to be. Look, we don't need no water. We don't need no bread. All we want is meat. He don't want no water. He don't want no bread. All he wants is meat. And they better reinforce these damn ring posts. Reinforce the ring posts. The meat's going to be fired tonight, gentlemen. Because you are spot on. There are some damn good matches on this card. Matt Riddle and Seth Rollins. Roman Reigns and Drew McIntyre are the most notable of them. But yes, going into this show... The meat is going to fly here. I think there's a very good chance this is match of the night. I expect Sheamus's chest to bleed from chops. And I mean, there's a five-star ceiling on this. You can't say that about every match here. In fact, there's three matches here that could potentially, in theory, reach that five-star level. The three men's singles matches that we're talking about. And yeah. I would not be shocked, just as you said, if coming out of this show, not only is this maybe the best match of the night, maybe it's one of our favorite matches of the year. I'm very we'll see that, that that's a high bar. That's putting a lot more pressure on it. Sheamus is incredible. Yeah, I, just, I think I, I think people Shame, still Shame, forget since returning from injury like two years ago or what year and a half, whenever it was, he literally has put on banger after banger. He yes. he doesn't miss. And Gunther is Gunther. So 
man, I don't know. I'm just very excited for this. So, all right, uh, two more matches to go. SmackDown Women's Championship, Liv Morgan and Shayna Baszler. All we got was a short feud recap video on SmackDown. And Ronda Rousey was advertised for the go-home show rather than Morgan or Baszler. So that was confusing. Now that show was taped, no spoilers because I didn't read them. So I don't know what happens on that show. Maybe there is some build for Liv and Shayna, but we didn't get any on this show. And it just continues what has been, in my opinion at least, a very disappointing build for this match and a very disappointing reign for Liv Morgan as SmackDown Women's Champion. Now, I did randomly come across a awesome six-minute video on WWE.com of Liv training with Riddle, doing MMA training to prepare for Baszler because of his expertise. Now, that wasn't on TV. It hasn't been shared on their social medias. I tried clipping it to send it on our social medias. I couldn't do it. So go over to WWE.com and watch this video, and you will say to yourself, why would this not be on TV? It makes complete sense in kayfabe for Liv to need this training going against Baszler. So please go seek that out. Ronda, it, it, is on, it, is, it is on the YouTube channel. They did? They posted it finally? It is there. Fantastic. It's on the YouTube channel, and it got more views than anything on SmackDown other than the final Drew Roman segment. Okay, that's great. So I, now that you heard me say that I didn't clip it, I'm going to clip it and tweet it out. So you can go check our Twitter account if you want to go see it. If it's on their YouTube, I can do that. But it wasn't posted for multiple days. I think I saw it over the weekend and all the way until yesterday or, or maybe at least Sunday when I checked, it wasn't anywhere on social media. So I'm very happy they posted it. I really hope they air it on SmackDown this week because it's awesome and you guys really should see it. Again, it makes sense in kayfabe for her to want to train with her. Now, Rousey also posted footage of her mm-hmm. helping Baszler learn how to counter the code breaker with Baszler taking the advice and doing it a few times, but not wanting to work too much, which kind of continues that storyline of Rousey trying to get Baszler more serious and help her out. But that's all that was new this week. And the vast majority of of it happened off of TV and in these things that weren't widely shown. So that's frustration for me. So going into this match, it feels like it's more about Ronda Rousey than it is either of them. Rousey is being promoted for this show, but she's not in this match and she's not on the card. So I don't exactly understand what they're doing here. It's just an extremely lackluster storyline. And Baszler seems to be in this match only to serve as a temporary opponent for Liv before Rousey gets another opportunity, presumably at Crown Jewel. So I do have Liv Morgan winning and retaining the title. It's a way to ensure that her championship reign is not one week or one month like a Nikki Ash or or Rhea Ripley or some of the shit that happened under the Vince McMahon era. But at the same time, if she beats Baszler and drops it to Rousey next month, it doesn't really make for a great reign, even though she would have beaten Rousey two to one, I guess, technically. Um, It's been disappointing, the booking of Liv Morgan, especially given the booking of Rousey simultaneously. But Morgan wins, retains the title, and it is, at least as far as my predictions go, our first babyface victor at Clash of the Castle. I am also picking Liv Morgan. I got to say, like, I can't remember a time like a stadium show match, a stadium show singles match on a card with six matches got so little attention. Right. Like it really is all about Ronda right now, which is just strange. I did see the Ronda Shayna video that you mentioned. I love that. Like WWE in the last couple of weeks 
has been putting some really interesting stuff on their social feeds that I just like while I'm scrolling through Instagram, I find something and it's like it's interesting. It could be 30 seconds. And it's like just it's 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 like an inside look at something really liking some of that stuff that they're doing. But, yeah, I just I have like no thoughts on this match because there's not much to think like Shayna Baszler, like loses every match she's in pretty much. She should beat Liv Morgan, but it wouldn't really make any sense to. So we're going to go live. And that is about all the analysis uh, I can give yeah. on, on this match, really. And just wonder, is Ronda going to show up or something like that? It's all it needs analysis wise, and it's all it deserves. Just being candid. That's just the yeah. truth. Back so, to back to again the Triple H and the women's booking, just some strange things. Yeah. And again, I think I'm I'm very confident it'll get fixed. He cares about the women's yeah. division. I'm not overly worried. Let's not forget Becky Lynch, Charlotte Flair, Sasha Banks, Naomi, and whatever extent you want to give it, Lacey Evans. None of them are active right now. That is yeah, it, it, five yeah. of the top women in the division not on TV. It's not that it's being ignored. It's just that it's not being booked well. Right, right, exactly. It's not being booked well. And they're not getting a ton of time on TV either. So there's a lot to be said for that. All right, Chris, it is now time for us to cover the main event, of WWE Clash at the Castle, the undisputed WWE Universal Championship on the line. Roman Reigns, champion, Universal champion, I should say, for two years, I believe as of today, as of us taping this show, defending against Drew McIntyre. We have a ton to talk about across SmackDown and Raw before we actually get to our prediction. So please bear with us as we go through it. On SmackDown, we got an extended career retrospective video package that felt more appropriate for me on a taped go-home show than it did on the penultimate show. But it ended with McIntyre saying he would kick Reigns' head right off his fucking body. There it is. I knew that it happened. This was oh. where this is where it was. So they did one on SmackDown and they did one on Raw, bleeped for both of them. Um, this was exceptional, the video. And it was the exact type of package that you put together when you are building someone up to be champion. Karrion Cross's music hit after the package ended. We still didn't get his full entrance. We saw the smoke and some of the stuff, but he was standing in a suite with Scarlet and basically he threatened to put his forearm through the back of Drew's head. I thought it would have been nice if Cross moved on from that move, but apparently he's still doing it. But it was a good promo from Cross, a really good video package for Drew, and it was a nice way to set up what we got over the remainder of the show. I agree. Uh, it, it was it was a again, they went to the all black and white. They didn't have the color flown in there, which bothered me last time. Uh, so it was a good setup. So later on SmackDown, Sami Zayn went to the Bloodline locker room thinking Roman Reigns would want to talk. Jimmy Uso was happy to see him once again. Jay once again shit-talked him and stood in his way from getting inside. Zayn was then delighted when Reigns yelled for the guys to let him in. Roman pointed out Sammy lost last week, but said, hey, bad things happen so that you get opportunities for redemption. Reigns said Zayn's sacrifice was something that family would do. Zayn promised to help the bloodline however he could. Reigns wanted McIntyre kept busy, so Sammy said he would do exactly that in their match, which was scheduled for the main event. Zayn then asked for backup. He wanted all three of the guys to be there with him, basically to take Drew out. But Rain said that his presence in and around the ring would take the spotlight away from Sammy, and that wasn't a good idea. Zayn then did a huge handshake, coordinated handshake with Jimmy, and then he tried to do one with Jay, but Jay just pointed to the door. Jimmy later told Sammy that Reigns doesn't talk about anyone the way he did Sammy, calling him something like family. 
Jake continued being negative and screaming at Sammy. Zane was just perplexed by the entire thing. Last week, what we got with Sammy and Roman, it was impossible to match. But this was almost as good. Like they came very close to doubling down on what we got last week. I'm glad they continued Reigns actively welcoming Zayn into the fold. There is clearly a Sammy J feud that's building for after Clash at the Castle. And I'm completely here for it. Plus, if you actually go back and watch the locker room segment, and I tweeted this out too, you will see that Zayn was so funny and so good that he made the one person in the segment who was supposed to hate him, Jey Uso, break character and laugh. <laughs> Jay act- actively had to cover his mouth because he was chuckling in the background. The entire deal was exceptional. The Zayn bloodline stuff remains great. And this was a great setup, not just to, you know, clash at the castle, but to what we got in the main event of SmackDown. Yes, this was hilarious. Sammy doing the the jig. Like, yeah, you didn't know how they were going to match it. You appreciated them trying. It ultimately turned out to be a very, very good segment. And it, again, felt a little a little off the cuff, like that they're not just solely reading scripted lines. And it leads to those moments like that. So it was, um, I, I loved it. It was great. So we got the main event, which was McIntyre and Zayn in the singles match. Sammy ate a tilt-a-whirl backbreaker, but he came back with a sunset flip powerbomb. McIntyre was ready for the Claymore when the Usos ran down and distracted, with Zayn hitting a blue thunderbomb for a 2.8 false finish. McIntyre answered with a Glasgow kiss. He booted the Usos off the ring apron, and he hit the Claymore on Zayn for the 1-2-3 in 10 minutes. As soon as the bell rang, Reigns ran down immediately to attack, but McIntyre actually reversed him into the post. Then he cleared the ring, but Reigns hit a spear. The Usos wailed on McIntyre with steel chairs. They tore up the commentary area. They threw him into the barricade. Then they held him and allowed Sami Zayn to hit a haluva kick. Then they used the steel steps as a battering ram into him. And lastly, they rolled him into the ring. Reigns grabbed McIntyre's lifeless face, saying the top of the mountain was his. Then he choked Drew out in the guillotine. And the entire segment ended with Reigns putting McIntyre on his back taking a chair, putting it over his neck, and sitting on the chair with both championships as the entire bloodline, Sammy included, threw up the one symbol behind him. So the match was fine, three stars B minus, nothing special. It was actually a little disappointing because Zayn got to shine last week and I thought he was going to do so again. But the post-match was absolute fire. It was the single best heel ending to a show we've gotten all year. And you could make an argument it was maybe the best ending overall we've gotten on WWE TV in 2022. Reigns looked as dominant as he ever has. There was a swerve with Zayn fully working with the Usos and kind of being accepted into the bloodline more than gaslighting, like it seemed like it was for real. Plus, McIntyre came across vulnerable as an undermanned babyface, planting seeds of doubt of whether he was actually going to win the title. The only thing that irked me a little bit is I kept expecting in the moment Kevin Owens to come down and make the save given his promo a couple of weeks ago, but that never happened. And I thought it was strange that we haven't gotten a follow-up for that. But this ruled on Friday night and it again created the impression, wow, maybe Drew McIntyre actually will be the one to take the championships off of Roman Reigns. This very much felt like the TV version of what Roman did to Brock at Madison Square Garden on the house show that they showed clips of exactly. but it was it wasn't a it wasn't a TV segment 
And, and, and that's what this was. And look, after what happened the previous week, like this was the natural follow up, like the, the other side, the other side gets the upper hand. And I'm glad nobody came out to save them. Like you, they always say sometimes like, oh, does the top baby face not have any friends or anything? Well, like, no, like the point of this is that Drew is facing the odds and you just you 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 roll with that. This was this was a great segment. It was awesome to see that Sami Zayn got a main event <laughs> SmackDown uh, match. And yeah, everything about this absolutely hit. Like you said, probably one of the best heel endings we've gotten all year. I'm trying to think of the, I feel like there was one other one with Roman that was really good not long ago, but, but yeah, that like this, we're finally back to like the bloodline that we like and enjoy. And is really fun to be around. And there's just so many things going on within this bloodline stuff that it's just, it's captivating. Yeah. From January, basically through, August, everything until the SummerSlam match, it, the bloodline became an eye roll. It really did. Um, mm-hmm. It had worn on, gotten old, boring, trite, repetitive. And all of a sudden, starting with that match and the Triple H creative, it has completely brand new life. And it's very, very exciting. So this storyline continued on to Raw and a lot happened on Raw too. I know you guys want to get to the match predictions. I, I do too. We got to talk about what happened on TV. So the Usos and Zayn opened the third hour. They were promoting Reigns' two-year championship celebration coming up on SmackDown. Sammy interrupted Jay to say he was appointed master of ceremonies. Jay gave him an evil eye. So Sammy then put over the Usos' dominance as tag team champions. And then Kevin Owens' music hit. And he reminded them that Reigns owes him one. Jay asked, hey, Sammy, isn't that your boy? Zayn said, yeah, technically he is. Jay wanted to fight, but Sammy said he would explain the situation. He told KO, Reigns never owes anybody anything. Owens insulted Zayn's hair and said it made him sad the way Sammy, his brother, was degrading himself when he was one of the best in-ring performers of all time. Zayn was in denial, saying the bloodline actually likes him. He did the handshake with Jimmy again. Jay ignored him again. So continuity there. And he said, hey, look, if you don't leave, then we're going to drop you the same way we did McIntyre. Owen said he did not forget that Jay and Paul Heyman were the ones who cost him the Universal Championship 18 months ago, saying that he had his head, Jay did, had his head up Reigns' ass for the last two years. So that led to a Kevin Owens and Jay Uso match. Sammy said KO is begging for Jay to kick his ass. Owens stared Jay down and called for the referee. Owens was dominating. He threw Jay into the steps which separated the top from the bottom. Later outside, Jimmy distracted to give Jay the upper hand, and he Samoan dropped KO into the base of the steps. Jay leaped over the pop-up powerbomb and hit a superkick, plus an Uso splash for a false finish. Owens got his knees up on a second splash, superkicked both Usos, and hit the frog splash for another false finish. Sammy then stopped him from doing the apron bomb, which distracted him enough to eat a tope suicida. Jay then yelled at Sammy to get a chair. Jimmy distracted the referee, but Zayn hesitated using the chair, The referee stalled him when he came back over. And then Owens caught a distracted Jay who was upset about the entire situation with a stunner for the win. Excellent match. Four stars, A minus. But this was fantastic. It answered the one question that I just said I had coming out of SmackDown, which is why didn't KO respond to any of this? It also brought in the continuity of not only the Owens and Zayn relationship, but KO's long-term hate for Roman Reigns And Jay specifically, given they had that three-month feud where he kept getting screwed and he probably should have won the titles. This made Owens and Zayn as a team 
taking the titles off the Usos sound even more likely than it already had been, while also accomplishing the opposite of what happened on SmackDown. It reminded us how many challengers are preparing for Roman Reigns. Beyond McIntyre, we have Rollins, Owens, Cross, and Cody, not to mention Theory, has the Money in the Bank briefcase. So whereas the end of SmackDown kind of made me think McIntyre would win, the end of Raw made me think Reigns would retain the title. Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn are taking the titles off of the Usos. That's that's happening. Like it, 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 it's a now they've officially like set the groundwork for that to happen. I don't know when it's going to happen. It might be a while, but we're we're getting there, and I'm going to love it, and everybody's going to love it, and it's going to be such an incredible face turn for Sammy along the way when that happens. That was my takeaway from that main event of Raw and everything that went along with that. Great segment as always. Kevin Owens is the best, as we know bringing up a lot of stuff from the past. We always appreciate that. And the match was great. But like they, they're telling so many different stories in, in just around this. And it just makes for really, really good television. And and that's all I got really to say about Raw. We can finally get into the pay-per-view match. Yeah, we can get into this and, and break down the match. I mean, again, coming out of these two shows, I felt completely different, right? Coming out of SmackDown, you see McIntyre laying there, after the huge buildup he got on that show. And, and we remember this, it's in the United Kingdom and there's there's so many elements there um, where it makes so much sense for Drew McIntyre to win the championship. And then you go to Raw and, you, and again, you see how many contenders seem to be lining up for Roman Reigns. And you think about what's Raw, the- Raw, Raw, didn't tell me, Raw didn't tell me Kevin Owens was going after Roman. Although he, he said, said he was. It. He said it, but he was literally in the ring with the Usos and Sami Zayn. And yeah, but he was doing that because of the, of him wanting Reigns. And the whole thing was yes. Reigns doesn't owe you one, which he said he right, did. Right, but I, I, I do believe we're now in an era where everybody is going to say that they're going for the championship. Very possible. And they may not get there. Very, which very is po- good. Very possible. But which, I'm just pointing out. Which is how it sh- it, that's how it should be. I'm just pointing out he said it. Rollins said it on the same right. show. Karrion Cross, we know, has been talking about it. Cody, we know, and you, we have to factor in not just what we think is going to happen at Clash of the Castle, but what can happen at WrestleMania. Because we need to think about, don't forget, Randy Orton was in line for a title shot. He didn't get one because of injury. Cody Rhodes, we think, was in line for a title shot maybe sooner than later, but possibly at WrestleMania. We don't know about the Rock status. Theory has the Money in the Bank briefcase. I'm just pointing out that there are more than a handful of people right now who are gunning for the world champion and the world champion they're gunning for is Roman Reigns. It's not Drew McIntyre. So going into this match, it really creates two minds that I have in terms of who could potentially win. Because on one hand, you can completely reestablish Drew McIntyre as your number one or maybe... 1B babyface, depending what happens with Cody when he returns, what his return looks like. You can completely reestablish Drew McIntyre. You can end Roman Reigns' reign that has now lasted two years and create a big moment on a big European show as you try to regain some of that audience and expand your brand. On the other hand, you have this guy who has held the championship for two years. He has beaten all comers, And while you would say, well, 
that is even more proof that Drew should win the title. What did I just mention? They've established all these new people who are going after it, including Rollins, who did fight him for the title, and Owens, who did fight him for the title, but both got screwed out of their matches, where when Reigns beat people, not every person who fought Reigns got screwed. So you look at it in both ways, and it leaves me with a conundrum in terms of picking this match. I legitimately am going into this with a 50-50 mind. I'm going to have a pick, but I go into it with a 50-50 mind. I will be extremely happy if Drew wins the title, but I will also not be mad if Roman Reigns retains as long as it's clean or with a slight distraction that leads to a relatively clean finish. I can see that with the addition of Sami Zayn and now the Usos and the potential return of Paul Heyman, there does seem to be more outs for Roman Reigns in this match than there are for Drew McIntyre. So even though I think there is a strong, strong chance that Drew McIntyre wins the title here, ultimately my pick is going to be Roman Reigns retaining the WWE Universal Championship. I have said it for weeks and I'm, I'm, I can't change it now. I think Drew McIntyre wins. I, I mean, you laid out all the scenarios there. I think you can still have people. I mean, Roman's got a feud with somebody after he loses the title, and there's a lot of people that can still line up for that. I just think part of it is if Roman doesn't lose here, he's not losing until WrestleMania. So it doesn't matter if he fights Kevin Owens or Rollins or whoever in the preceding months. It ain't happening to WrestleMania. They're not going to take it off at a Survivor Series or a day one or something like that. So, and I'm kind of dreading that. I'm I'm kind of dreading another six, seven months of Roman Reigns as champion. Yes, I, I, I don't think, think that would I, be good. I agree. I And I, I think Drew being champion just opens up so many doors to so many different things we can do now. Look, we, we also don't know what's going to happen with the belts. I think it's certainly possible around Survivor Series, around the draft or whatever, that they just split the belts as part of the draft. I think that would be a great idea. I think we need to get back to having two champions. Um, but for this match, Drew McIntyre has been completely built back up into everything he needs to be. He is face of the company type of guy. And to do all of that and have him lose, I don't, th I don't think you're gaining anything from that. You, you're right. You can rebuild Drew McIntyre from there but there's nowhere else for Roman to go. Like there, there is literally nothing left. And so I just think at this point, the hometown guy, not quite hometown, well, but like yeah, the, the home <laughs> region guy, yeah. the big, the, the first show that's happening there, it's a pay-per-view you're doing that is, that is not during NFL season yet. I just think this is the time Drew McIntyre is the guy. I wanted this to happen at WrestleMania 38. They're doing it now. It's time to take everything in a new, new direction. This is this can be the look. We got a tractor at SummerSlam, but this can be the defining like Triple H era has begun type of yeah. move here and move everything into a new direction. I think Drew would be Drew did a great job as champion during 2020 during the pandemic, trying to hold it hold it down. You you know he can do this, and I think this is the guy to do it. And I think it happens. 
you deserve credit because you have been steadfast on Drew McIntyre winning this title for, I mean, at least a month, if not two, if not I, two months. I said, I said in December 2021 that my pick was Drew to beat Roman at Mania. Right. So like I've been right. on the Drew as the guy to do it for. But a I'm long saying, time. I'm saying since it became clear that this was happening. Yes. You've been yes. steadfast, and I give you a lot of credit. When I said that I was 50-50, what I really meant was I was 50.1 and 49.9 because listening to you break that down, I'm, I think I'm going to switch my pick. <laughs> and, and this is how on the edge, this is how on the edge I am of the entire thing. There, the most important to me, the thing that can develop out of this is what you mentioned at the very end. This is what flipped my mind. It is changing the creative direction of the company. We are entering a period of time where, as Roman Reigns has admitted, and he did so in an interview this past week, that his schedule has changed. He is not on every show. He is on all the big stadium shows and all that. So now I have to assume we are going to see Roman Reigns at Crown Jewel because it is a stadium show. It is in Saudi Arabia. And that to me says, well, what is he going to do on that show other than be champion, maybe a rematch with Drew McIntyre. And and perhaps there is something to be said for that, which leads me into, I think, my larger point, um, taking off of what you said, which is that WWE does need to have some type of fresh creative direction. And whether that is splitting the titles or creating an undisputed championship and introducing a new title as a world title, maybe bringing back the big gold belt, or I don't know exactly what other options they have, but Figuring out a way for Raw to have its own champion, world champion is what we're getting to. Something does need to be done here. And Roman Reigns, as of today, as we mentioned, it's a two-year title reign. When you look at all of the names underneath him on the WWE list, even though this is technically a universal championship reign that we're counting, they're all in like the 400s. He has well surpassed that at 700. But then when you look at the names above him and you say, If he kept the title, how long would he need to retain it to continue moving up that list if that was WWE's goal? And what you soon realize is that in order for him to move up that list, he needs to hold the championship for another year at a minimum. So the names above him right now, even though it's the Universal and we're talking about WWE lineage, Bruno San Martino twice, Hulk Hogan, Bob Backlund, and Pedro Morales. Morales is the next name for him to pass. And he's like at a thousand days or more. So you look at this and you say, what is the purpose of Roman Reigns holding these championships all the way into WrestleMania? And there really isn't one. Why? Because there's so much time between now and WrestleMania that if you want Roman Reigns as the champion going into WrestleMania, you will have plenty of opportunities for him to win the championship back. He could do it at Crown Jewel in one month. They could put the title, you know, the titles on Drew McIntyre and have Roman Reigns take him right back. You give Drew a big moment. You give him back to Reigns. Drew is still the guy to beat Reigns, so he doesn't look weak necessarily, you know, losing them back. There's help from Sami Zayn. There's help from the bloodline, Paul Heyman. You can make it work. You could have Drew drop the title back to Reigns at Survivor Series. There's no December pay-per-view. You could have it happen at day one or Royal Rumble. You have all of those opportunities 
for Reigns if they want him to be champion going into WrestleMania to make him champion going into WrestleMania. So yes, Chris, because of what you said, you have actually convinced me I am flipping the 50.1% and the 49.9%. And I'm going to go ahead and predict Drew McIntyre winning the titles here for that reason. A change in creative, freshening up the product, and likely giving Roman Reigns a couple months off because he's not wrestling every show. So even though I do think he is going to be at Crown Jewel, and that does complicate this prediction, the fact that there's no pay-per-view in December, day one in January theoretically doesn't need him, they could possibly have him off TV from either Crown Jewel or the Royal Rumble, or Crown, I'm sorry, Crown Jewel or Survivor Series, all the way until the build to the Royal Rumble. So because of that, yeah, I am going to switch. Drew McIntyre wins the title at Clash of the Castle. Well, well, now we're, we've agreed on every single pick, so. Yeah, but we do that all the time, and we're usually right, so. We do. I was just really excited that we had different picks, and it was the big one, but. Yeah, I mean, look, I'm, I'm, I'm being I'm, candid. I'm, like, I'm, not, I'm not trying to, like, hedge it. I'm not trying to play both sides. Like, I, I legitimately don't know who's going to win this match. And I think normally we go into things. Take, take for example, the Roman Reigns-Finn Balor match when he was the Demon. I or was convinced, last week, I was last convinced Balor was winning the title there. Mm-hmm. I knew it. And that hasn't been the case. Like the Cesaro feud, you knew Cesaro wasn't winning. The Kevin Owens feud, you knew Kevin Owens wasn't winning. So on and so forth. But this is one, they have done such a good job building this. And they've created so many good reasons for McIntyre to be the one to win the title. By the way, in addition to the fact he has a number one contender waiting for him in carrying Cross. Cross did debut with Drew and Reigns and he did stare down Reigns and Scarlett did the, uh, what do you call it? The sand thing. Um, the hourglass. The hourglass. She did turn it upside down facing Reigns saying his time was coming up. But Karrion Cross has really focused on McIntyre this entire time. So it does lend some credence to the idea that McIntyre wins the title, Cross becomes his first challenger, and maybe Reigns takes some time off. But again, the one thing that does hold me up there is the fact that Crown Jewel is next month and Roman Reigns appears on all of those shows. And I don't know what else he would do if he wasn't champion or if he wasn't challenging for the title. I could see Roman Kevin Owens at Crown Jewel. I could see Drew carrying Cross at Crown Jewel. Um, I, I think there's a lot of things. You Triple do. But threat that, with Drew pinning Cross and yep, that that's maybe working. Well, maybe that's maybe that's where you do the triple threat. So um, yeah, there, there's a lot of things. I just think they've done a honestly like perfect job of building Drew McIntyre back up into what he can be and should be. And um, and and I just it feels like this is his moment. He never really got the moment. He won the championship at a WrestleMania in front of nobody. Yep. He held the title the entire time in front of nobody. He's never been the champion in front of people. And so winning it in the UK is like yeah. the moment that he didn't get. And honestly, I'm surprised I haven't even put that into a video package. Just be like, like, I, I, I'm ready to do this for the people. Like, I'm, you know, like that's a whole other part of this story that they haven't really told. But it just it feels like it's all they've done a really good job building it up for him to be his moment. Yeah, I think Roman can win. I, I definitely think Roman can win because um, it's Roman. And I think that that adds the intrigue of if and when Drew wins, it's going to mean something. And that's ultimately what this entire Roman Reigns uh, two year reign was about. Yeah. And Drew is Drew has proven 
that he's the guy who can do it. Really, uh, unless the goal is for Cody Rhodes to beat Roman Reigns, and I mean, it's been talked about so frequently that Reigns the Rock is WWE's plan or their goal, at least, for it to happen at WrestleMania. It's two nights. Theoretically, he could do both. But unless they think that Cody not only winning the WWE Championship, but beating an undefeated or, or not undefeated, but a you know a 900 day reigning Roman Reigns for the title, unless they think that is such an epic level of booking that they can't not do it, unless that's the case, there's really no other better moment for Reigns to lose the title than now. Because what else is going to be better? Crown Jewel, no. Survivor Series, no. Day One, no. Royal Rumble, etc. So if you if you're not going to have him keep the championship all the way through WrestleMania, it has to be now to right. Drew McIntyre that he drops it. And there's even something else to be said for the fact that McIntyre's reign, which you mentioned, it was in front of nobody because it was during the pandemic. It was also a shitty reign. Like they did the one month switch where Randy Orton won it and then Drew won it back. And that whole storyline didn't really seem to make any mm-hmm. sense. And then he he was not champion. He was the challenger to Bobby Lashley at WrestleMania. And we said, oh, great. One year later, they're going to not rectify it, but they're going to give Drew his moment in front of the fans. And then Bobby Lashley retained. And then Drew got another match and he lost again to Bobby Lashley. So this guy has really been put through the ringer, both as champion and as a challenger. But he has been built up so freaking strong here. They didn't need to build him up this strong. They could have sold tickets to this show, and they did sell tickets to this show, with this match announced without Drew being a super strong contender. But here we are, we're coming into it, and they have built him to that level. And it seems like it's all for a reason. So even if it's only a one-month title reign and he drops it back to reigns at Crown Jewel or two months and he drops it at Survivor Series, I do ultimately think you're right that even though there's a lot of reasons for Reigns to retain, McIntyre winning, it really does make the most sense. He, he, he's he been built for this moment. I think he deserves it too, and, and I, I hope he gets it. He better own it. He better never let it go. He's only got one shot. Well, he might have more shots. <laughs> he got a few shots against Bobby Lashley. <laughs> I, was, I was quoting Eminem. Uh, okay. I know. <laughs> Uh, But all right, uh, Chris, that is the uh, ultimate preview for WWE Clash of the Castle, which means the last thing for us to do before we close out today's show is provide our pre-show expectation grades. And I always let you go first. So go ahead. What is your expectation grade for WWE Clash at the Castle? Well, I, I always say that one of the biggest things that determines my rating is do we get a moment or two? Do we get big moments that we'll remember. And Drew McIntyre beating Roman Reigns is about as big as you can get on that scale. So it's going to be high. It's odd with six matches only at the moment, but I'm really into five of these other than the Liv Morgan versus Shayna Baszler match. I, and we, we talked about any of the three men's singles matches could be match of the night. I think the wrestling is going to be really good. Um, I don't know if I'm, I'm probably not going to watch the show live because I'm going to be at a football game, but I'm in, in, in WWE also has typically over delivered on pay-per-views. So I'm going to say a minus. Yeah. You know, we, <laughs> we really can't separate and have different opinions here. That's exactly my grade. Um, it, I think WWE deserves a high expectation grade here because of those three male singles matches. 
all three of them, as you just said, have the chance to be match of the night. The six-woman tag team match, not exceptionally built, but there's an opportunity for moments to happen. And the women involved in it are, five of them at least, are very good in-ring wrestlers. So that has a chance to bang. Even the Liv Morgan Shayna Baszler match, I'm not overly excited about it, but the, the storyline elements, Liv winning and getting a big baby face pop against Baszler, who is a clear heel, unless there's a crowd revolt or something like that, I think that could be cool. There might be a returner debut. That could be a surprise moment. Drew McIntyre may well win the WWE Undisputed Universal Championship or Undisputed WWE Universal Championship. That obviously would be a monumental moment. And even the match that I think is the worst built features Edge, Rey Mysterio, and Finn Balor. So it's very difficult for me not to be extraordinarily excited for this show. The only thing that gives me a little bit of doubt is the time difference. It's like, because it's on the afternoon on a college football Saturday, is there a chance, not that WWE mails it in, but that it just doesn't put as much of the great show effort into this that we would otherwise get from a pay-per-view that airs at 8 p.m. Eastern in prime time without any competition on the night. We can't guess that, right? We can only kind of see what they ultimately give us. But whereas I think for the vast majority of WWE shows, you and I, our pre-show expectation grades are in the B range, B plus, B, B minus, either because it's been built poorly or the card doesn't seem that exciting. And WWE then comes over the top and seems to over-deliver. This is a rare aspect, uh, a rare event, Chris, where we're going into this with very high expectations that WWE needs to meet. Otherwise, they will under-deliver. And I don't know that we've given a show, a pre-show expectation grade in the A range this year. I don't know that it's happened. I gave it to WrestleMania, but I also admitted that me being there was probably right. a, I was in the B uh, range factor in, yeah. in my excitement for it. Yeah. So I think that's a very interesting dynamic that we haven't really experienced before. We were, we're used to WWE over-delivering on these shows, and now the expectations are high, both due to the card, the recent booking, Triple H is creative. The expectations are that they deliver us some form of an A pay-per-view, and we are going to find out Saturday whether that actually happens. Now, as far as all of you listeners, for you to have the ability to share your pre-show expectation grades, you can do that about an hour before Clash at the Castle begins. So we're looking at around noon Eastern on Saturday. We will post a poll on our Twitter account at Getting Overcast. You will be able to vote and share your pre-show expectation grade. We will discuss that, of course, on the WWE Clash at the Castle instant analysis that will be published at some point on Saturday perhaps as soon as it goes off the air, perhaps a little bit later in the day. So allow me to simply review what our schedule is for the remainder of the week. I'm going to go over all of it with that stuff included. On Wednesday, we will have an NXT Worlds Collide Ultimate Preview. On Thursday, AEW All Out Ultimate Preview. On Saturday, as I mentioned, we will have a live WWE Clash at the Castle pre-show on Twitter Spaces. Follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. To participate, not only do we go over every match one more time, we let you guys, we open the mics, we let you guys ask questions, provide comments. It's really a nice communal atmosphere, a lot of fun to do. So be sure to join us on Saturday. Both of the polls will be posted on Saturday, also on Twitter at Getting Overcast. And then WWE Clash of the Castle instant analysis either that afternoon 
or in the evening, depending what happens on the show. And then Sunday, we will be back with two live shows on Twitter Spaces for NXT, Worlds Collide, and AEW All Out. Four different polls posted on Sunday, pre and post show for both of those events. And at the end of the night, Sunday night, concluding a five episode week, we will have an AEW All Out NXT Worlds Collide instant analysis. You can tell just as this show is going on right now, the Silver King is already losing his voice with Vintage and I talking for the better part of two hours here. So I need to rest up my voice, drink some fluids and make sure I have plenty left for the remainder of the week. I want to thank Vintage Chris Manini for joining us once again for the WWE Clash at the Castle Ultimate Preview. We have so much more left for you this week. Before I conclude today, a reminder that you're getting over Wrestling Podcast. So head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave for us those five-star ratings. On Apple, also leave a review. Tell everyone why you love the show and why they should subscribe. And do not forget to follow us on Twitter for all the aforementioned reasons at Getting Overcast. Thank you all for listening. We have so much left for you this week. At this point, the Silver King is going to leave you with just three final words. Bye for now. <laughs>